sure that uh, that program doesn't contain controversial subjects and uh, you're not impolite to people. Oh, definitely not, Dad. You know me. I'm never, <laughs> ever controversial or yeah, impolite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Welcome to Conversations with your lovable, never pisses anyone off, never been banned from Facebook or YouTube, never been sabotaged or censored for politely expressing a difference of opinion, ex-Muslim host Ina, keeping it non-controversial. Welcome to episode 32. I'm here with journalist Kathy Young today, a pretty prominent voice in the anti-SJW scene. So this should be interesting. Hey, Kathy. Hey, I'm glad we finally managed to get this going. I know, I know. It's been uh, a tough one to schedule for some reason, but we're here now, so hooray. Okay, so so it's it's interesting because now I think, you know, I think about two years ago, I was probably a lot more on board with the anti-SJW stuff and totally that was like a big issue and ruining liberalism. But now I find myself on the other side because I feel there are much greater threats. And I also, you know, I find myself thinking that among the anti-SJWs, which I probably view how you view SJWs, is, uh, you know, you're... A very reasonable voice. You've come out and spoken against Milo. You have uh, spoken against what Bill O'Reilly did, or you, you've shared articles right. not in support of Bill, Bill right, O'Reilly, right. which is which is great. So yeah. So yeah. what are you finding these days with the anti-SJW right, right. scene? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you. I, I'm actually uh, thinking of writing an article that would be tentatively titled something like, you know, "Fighting Political Correctness in the Age of Trump." Uh, I mean, I think it's it, it's funny that I think literally like the day before the election, I wrote a piece saying, you know, if you if you're voting for Trump because you you want to oppose political correctness, that's really not a good reason. And in fact, I think it will probably make the situation worse if he does get elected. And I think I was absolutely right, because I think one thing that we're finding is that a lot of people who are really not on board with some of extreme stuff that goes on, you know, on college campuses, yeah. especially, um, are now saying, well, you know, do we really want to talk about, you know, students uh, being silly about safe spaces yeah. when we have, you know, um, unauthorized immigrants who have been here for, you know, 20 years and have three kids uh, suddenly being deported after, you know, checking in for their regular appointment the immigration yeah so you know and that sort of stuff and so what do you think of that do you think that's reasonable well you know i actually don't because i think that it's possible to um you know walk and chew gum at the same time yeah 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 i agree with that you know i think it is entirely possible and even desirable to be against um you know um, anti-liberal, uh, really, things happening on both the right and the left, because you know. I, I, but you I, see I, that I, we can pri- like people prioritize, right? So if that's oh, that was course, your focus, like say two years ago, maybe your yes, focus no, is a bit I more Trump that, now. 
Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely um, acceptable, you know, insofar as I think there really are, you know, bad things going on that are coming from the White House. Some of this stuff does go too far, but then there's stuff on the other end that goes too far as well. And then when we get to like the safe space and the trigger warning, it's almost like the people opposing that stuff now require their own safe space and their own trigger oh, warnings. Of course. I mean, I, I think hypocrisy and double standards are, you know, probably as old as humanity. So. Right. So like, you know, Mike Cernovich, right? Who, oh, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who's very prominent in the, uh, you know, uh, rape accusations or oh, false oh, oh, yeah, scene. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but he was somewhere the other day, and there's a video of him, like, you know, gently being, like, tapped oh, or something. Oh, yeah, and he's yeah. like, I'm being assaulted, I'm being assaulted. Yeah, yeah. Whereas oh, no. he's built a career on saying that women, you know, falsely accuse people of rape. So I find that type of thing to be incredibly hypocritical. Oh, of course, of course. But, you know, I mean, I don't think that we should, uh, and again, that kind of, probably goes for both SJWs and anti-SJWs. Who become uh, SJWs now. Yeah. I, I don't think it's necessarily fair to sort of, you know, tar an entire, you know, position with the brush of, you know, the worst people espousing it. Because, sure, you know, but, sure, because sure. But that's that, exactly yeah. what happens on the left, right? Because I find that the worst, fringest rad femme positions are used to... Oh, sure. And you know what? I, I will say, I, I, I am happy to say that I actually spoke up against this even like a couple of years ago when um, it wasn't quite so obvious that, you know, a lot of the uh, stuff going on on the sort of the in anti-SJW circles was bad, you know. Yeah. But I was... Uh, I mean, I remember that there were a few times when people would tweet a screenshot of some, you know, things that some nutty feminist bloggers said that were clearly not reflective of, um, you know, anything like, you know, any kind of common or, you know, let alone majority position you know, on the left or among feminists, like there was this one um, uh, thing going around, um, and I forget the, the blogger's name, but it was basically somebody saying that, you know, all um, heterosexual penetration right. is rape. <laughs> oh, and my yeah, favorite I, one. I think yeah, I think you can you can probably find like you know a, a really 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 small uh, you know uh, subgroup of radical feminists who believe that. Yeah. But I mean to to pass that off as uh, like oh look what the feminists are up to. Yeah. Well, they're actually not, and I think yeah. that. You know, when but you, you're right, uh, though. There's an authoritarian streak on the left, absolutely. And you know, I, I've been accused of being an MRA. I've been accused oh of being <laughs> a rape apologist, and right. so I mean, I find myself to be pretty vocally against these things. So yeah, yeah. If, yeah, it, if that's also, turned around and hurled at me, then obviously, right. I think that that that's a problem, right? The, the reason I was called a rape apologist, let me tell you, yeah. is a funny story, is because right. there's a show called Naked Dating or something, 
I haven't heard of it. <laughs> so I they take your word for it. So I they should. set people up on blind dates. Okay. And they're naked. Okay. And so people, obviously, they sign a waiver. They're completely aware of what they're doing and that there, there'll be cameras everywhere. So this woman on this date decided that she would do like that. They would wrestle on the beach naked. Oh, okay. So I guess that they did not put that blurry spot each time as her <laughs> anus moved around oh, <laughs> properly. Okay. So she wanted to like watch this episode with her friends and then she was really embarrassed and humiliated that her... Jeez, like you go on a naked dating <laughs> show and then you're embarrassed because your friends saw body parts that you didn't want them to see. Okay. Right, right. So... Then I said, okay, so then she sued the show. I forget the number. It was like for five million or okay. And then I said I did a Facebook post saying, like, come on, if you don't want, you know, people to see your butthole, maybe just don't like wrestle naked in front of cameras for a TV show and then try to get your friends together to watch it. That's all I said. And then someone was like, you're just like the people that tell women that they shouldn't, you know, drink too much or that they're responsible for their own rape. So I found that pretty, pretty ridiculous. So I I understand that frustration. I'm with you on that. And I'm happy to criticize it. Same with like, you know, when that shirt gate thing happened, I found that utterly ridiculous. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And I'll tell you, by the way, uh, one of the things that I would say when we talk about, um, you know, it doesn't really still make sense to, uh, you know, focus our energies on, you know, rail at, um, uh, uh, you know, at uh, silly far-left college students, etc., when we have a lot of, like, authoritarian stuff that's happening out of the White House. Uh, I think that it does, because I think that in many ways, the two kind of mutually reinforce each other. I mean, I absolutely do think, and I I really want to do more writing about that, because I think it is kind of being lost slightly in, in, in a lot of the well, I won't say the dialogue, but it's really more like the mutual shouting. I don't know if yeah, you yeah. call it dialogue. Well, you know, another, another reason but, why yeah, but I do think that one of the reasons uh, I absolutely do think that the backlash against um, you know political correctness, you know, for lack of a better word, did play a role in in Trump's election. I uh-huh. mean, I have personally talked to people who told me that that was the case for them, and you know, um, I mean, I talked to um, I don't know if you saw the piece that I did for Foreign Policy on uh, women who voted for Trump. No, uh, I didn't I see that one. A bunch of people. Yeah, I mean, it was actually quite fascinating. I mean, one of the one of the women that I interviewed, and she didn't want her name used because she's still in college and she plans to go to grad school, and you know, like the atmosphere is such that she genuinely feels that you know her 
she's going to be a pariah on campus and her grad school prospects are going to be damaged if people know that she voted for Trump. But she basically said, like, the, the biggest reason that she voted for Trump was that she was really, really, like, fed up with all the uh, um, far-left ideological stuff on campus and with these, you know, ridiculous exercises where they, you know, have you sit in a circle and confess your privilege. Or yeah, something. okay, like, that's silly stuff, right? But that's yeah, not yeah. driving me to vote for Trump. Like, that, I no, find no, that a silly excuse as well. Vote. Yeah, well, it wouldn't drive me to vote for Trump, but, you know, I, I, I think that it's, uh, I mean, it's obviously more than that, because uh, there have been cases of, you know, people losing their jobs for ridiculous reasons. Um, oh, I wanted to talk to you about that. There's one specific yeah. case, actually, that you tweeted about that's been messing with my head a lot. So we'll, we'll oh, get into that in a second. Okay, okay. sure. <laughs> anyway, yeah, let's move on. So but, I think we'll... Yeah, so one thing I wanted to say before we end this topic is that it's not just that people say that we shouldn't, you know, talk about uh, silly college students doing this when Trump is doing this in the from the White House. It's also that the idea that these SJWs has extended over to kind of encompass the whole left. So people oh, sure. are put off by that. So that's why people are not interested in criticizing these SJWs because now that whole umbrella has extended uh, to oh, include sure. everyone. And, and, and you know what? I mean, I've been called an SJW. Yeah, yeah, I've seen you know, it. <laughs> of Akkad, or however you pronounce that, you know, has called me an SJW light or something. And I think the idea now, and I mean, I've been seeing this, um, I think this started about a year ago or, or even more than that um, with some of, you know, Milo's friends. Uh, the, the idea, I think, was that basically, like, if you support... Um, you know, if you oppose racism, and again, I don't mean like, you know, the silly things that some people call racism, like, you know, it's racist for, you know, white women to uh, to, to have cornrows. <laughs> and again, and I think you can see how this is mutually reinforcing, because when these really stupid things get, you know, pilloried as being racist, then, you know, oh my God, you know, uh, Katy Perry wore a kimono on stage for a musical number, and, you know, uh, so <laughs> So I think people really do start taking the accusation of racism less seriously. And then, right. you, have, and then you have people on the alt-right taking advantage of that yeah. and, you know, basically saying, oh, you know, you want to call me racist for saying that, you know, blacks are dumb and criminal? Yes. Well, yes. Gets called racist these days, so I don't really care. Exactly. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> exactly. That's the timeline. That's basically, you know, it's become so diluted and then people are in the alt-right are using those uh, you know, arguments as a cover for their actual racism, and then it's very hard to spot the real racism. Yeah, it's just you know the same. Thing but on the flip of that, yeah, is the, yeah. the the social justice warriors to call everyone a social justice warrior to call everyone a regressive. Oh, yeah, of course, uh, yeah. it's been so overused that those terms have no meaning, whereas they used to maybe uh, refer to a specific subset of people oh, on the right. left. Of course. Yeah, exactly. So it's, now it's, it's just a big mess where nothing makes sense anymore. You know? Yeah. Nothing, nothing has any meaning. You can call anyone a racist or a misogynist. You can call anyone an, an SJW. Yeah. And you know, I, I, 
I kind of have, I, I, at one point I was kind of using the word SJW. And by the way, I, I, I do want to address, there is this myth uh, that is now being kind of bandied about by some people on the left, that the word SJW like came out of uh, Gamergate or, you know, or, or came out of sort Tumblr, of... Tumblr, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I first heard uh, the term SJW like when I was uh, active in fandom, uh, and it was like maybe three or four years ago. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I heard it from people who were um, sort of people who were active in various fandoms and who were kind of fed up with, you know, the, these annoying people who were running around telling everyone that everything is problematic, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you like a male character that someone decided is abusive, you know, then you're a bad person who is upholding oppression or, mm. or you know, God forbid you, uh, uh, you know, you, you, uh, you're interested in a heterosexual pairing for a character that, you know, a lot of people decided is gay. <laughs> so, you know, like if you're uh, um, if you don't think that Sherlock and John are in a romantic relationship you're homophobic right right these seem like really silly points i'm not a gamer so i don't i'm not immersed in that culture i don't quite understand this is actually more like tv fandom i'm not okay 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 yeah no but i mean the reason that i could sort of relate to the gamers is that i did um i mean i actually used to really love like tv fandoms until they got really politicized so you know part of my uh part of my support for gamer games came from being really, really pissed off at these, you know, obnoxious people on Tumblr who mm. were, uh, uh, you know, beating up on people who, you know, had the wrong ideas about some TV show or other. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. You know. But you see that spun out of control now. So I don't know how we, yeah, how yeah, we get I mean, back to yeah, just... Yeah, but- but but you know it is very tr- I mean the term uh, the term SJW did not arise from any sort of alt right or even Gamergate circles it came from again you know mostly like people in various fandoms who were really annoyed at you know the, these uh, so called activists who were trying to politicize like every discussion of the of a TV show yeah. and I say so called activists because you know honestly I don't think that. You know, if your idea of being an activist is like hanging out on My Little Pony forums, you know, telling people that, you know, this is not a politically correct opinion about, you know, about My Little Pony. I don't think that's really being an activist. Right, you know? right. I but this is what I'm saying. I was I'm totally with you on all that stuff. And I was like all I, about that till about 2014, maybe. But now it just seems like there's a lot of really sinister people focusing on that and ignoring what's coming from yeah people like deliberately taking advantage of the sort of the anti-pc backlash to promote their own like really far-right agenda yeah uh, and I think again we're seeing this notion that if you're 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 an SJW light, you know, if you're for racial equality, or you know, if you think that you know police brutality against minorities mm-hmm. is a serious issue, or if you're uh, you know if you believe in uh, equality for women, um, mm-hmm. 
Uh, because, you know, again, as with racism, we've seen, like, first, we've, uh, I think the, the concept of misogyny was expanded to a ridiculous degree where, you know, we saw people uh, accuse um, um, Matt Taylor, you know, the scientist yeah. shirt was... Uh, and they uh, made him cry. That made so, me very sad. Yes, yes. Scantily clad women on them. And, you know, suddenly that was like, oh, this is a misogynist shirt. So, you know, when you when you trivialize the the term misogyny to that extent you know again people will take advantage of that and then you're seeing people who will say things like oh well you know uh, date rape doesn't really exist right, right. try I raping mean, a woman without force it's not yeah, possible really, or, yeah yeah and i mean my, my and mike sort of has said some really creepy things like you know the the didn't he also say something, something like you know the hotter sex is the more it resembles rape yes. or something like, yeah, i mean yeah. you know just like yeah. He's a great dude. Yeah. Great dude. Yeah. He's, yeah. Yeah. And again, you know, I don't even know like what percentage of the things that he and other people like him say are actually seriously believed in. And, you know, what. Well, which the pickup artistry that, circles kind of really do believe that oh, yeah, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. I think that uh, absolutely. And we have, some, I don't know how familiar you are, you are with uh, Stefan Molyneux. Do you know? Oh, my God. I, I am. Yeah. Yeah. You know, skeptic number one being uh, promoted by, you know, supposed rational people like Michael Shermer. Like he called him like the finest podcaster for reason or something like Stefan Molyneux, who's like a race realist and thinks that Beauty and and the Beast is offensive or something. Yeah, yeah, because it encourages women to delay childbearing or something. No, and I mean, this guy, by the way, really is a misogynist. Totally. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was um, actually, um, back in 2014, I was working on, I was researching a piece that I actually never ended up writing just because I got so busy with other stuff. I mean, I've, I've always got like 10 times more projects than I am. Uh, mm, I know how that feels. So I have the time to actually like bring to fruition. Yeah. Uh, but I was uh, working on this piece. Remember when uh, the men's rights people were holding a conference in Detroit? Uh, I don't know if you paid attention mm, to it. No, I don't think so. But yeah, they did this men's rights conference, which, uh, I mean, there were a couple of people speaking there who, who were okay, you know, because I mean, I think that there are people who are working on legitimate issues. That There's definitely like, oh, legitimate issues. Men's rights kind of, uh, you know, purview. I mean, I think that there are ridiculous cases with, you know, like people being forced to pay child support for kids that, you know, DNA tests showed are not theirs. But I feel it doesn't need a a movement, really. I feel like we can focus on those issues. No, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily have a problem with a movement if it was, you know, if it, if it was not a crazy one, you know, but a lot of like, a lot of the people at this conference were kind of nutty people, like, you know, surprise, and, surprise. and that was when, when I was like, researching uh, the things going on at that conference, I looked into some of the Molyneux stuff. And, I mean, uh, you know, this is a guy who basically pretty much says that, like, all the evil in the world is women's fault because women uh, uh, choose to mate with these. And, and, you know, and it's He also doesn't understand biology. 
Yeah, 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 I know. But but it's also funny that like his argument is that like women are evil because they perpetuate uh, like the, the dominance of assholes <laughs> by choosing to mate with assholes. But then he doesn't actually blame the assholes. He, he only blames yeah. the women. Which, yeah, and which, he also doesn't blame the, the women who he finds so horrible that the men are also choosing to sleep with. So... Yeah, makes no sense. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I mean that. I mean, this is when this is the point at which we really are talking about like actual, you know, uh, very literal misogyny. Uh, and I, I, you know, I've I, I have seen quite a bit of it in uh, you know in these kind of far right circles that overlap with the, like anti SJW. And I mean, I, I, I've gotten into, into arguments on Twitter a few times but I mean being an argument on Twitter is, is really kind of the ultimate pointlessness totally yeah I tell myself every day I, I really try to avoid that, but uh, but yeah, but I think uh, that's actually kind of going to be the point of uh, like the, that article that I want to write about, you know, fighting political correctness in the age of Trump. I do want to say, you know, on the one hand, yes, I do think that this is important because, you know, not only is it really obnoxious when you have, you know, like people trying to impose their you know, there are hangups and there are, you know, um, kind of ideological obsessions on everyone else on college campuses. But, you know, we do have people losing their jobs for ridiculous reasons. We have, you know, college students who getting kicked out of college on really bizarre, you know, accusations of sexual assault where, you know, it's really pretty clear that it was kind of mutual, uh, mutually drunk consensual sex. And then only the guy ends up being blamed for that, which, which I think really, if you think about like if you go back to the you know like real meaning of the word feminist I think that's very anti yeah 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 yeah. you know and I saw that play out like I don't know how how many of those cases on college are like that but okay so I used to think it was like oh come on these people are just making up no one's gonna accuse a guy for like drunk sex that was mutual but then on a teeny bopper show that was coming on tv i saw this episode of you know this girl getting together with her ex and then in the morning she's all happy about having sex with him but then someone says oh well if you don't really remember it then you know then you can't have consented but but i'm like the the guy also doesn't remember it right like so Yeah. yeah no i mean i think that there is there are some very genuine sort of excesses and i think they're not just uh harmlessly ridiculous i think that there are very real people who've been hurt by them um i mean uh, there are stories uh, that i followed this uh, and i really really want to write about this because it hasn't gotten enough attention uh there's a guy who i used to write for i think it was la metro uh this website uh named art tavana who writes about the pop music scene he wrote a piece uh where you know he he was basically talking about uh and oh my goodness i'm completely blanking out on the name of the artist that he wrote about uh, but he he was basically writing about the fact that sex appeal is really an important part of the image of a lot of musicians which i think is very true right sure but i mean yeah. The, yeah. it's he, undeniable and, that they also sometimes right. cross over and uh, i think make some very sexist Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. No, no, he was 
writing about a female female musician. Okay. Uh, yeah, and he was writing about like her sex appeal uh, after she had done a, a nude album cover, and he he be sort of mentioned a few things about like her body and the album cover, which is again like if you don't want people talking about your body, you know, don't. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's a very sex negative. There's a sex negative streak to this authoritarianism. And he talked about the fact, he also mentioned like male artists who, who, for whom, you know, like sexuality and sex appeal was very much part of their image. So like suddenly he was the target of this huge witch hunt uh, where people were saying, oh my God, like he sexualized this artist and, you know, this is rape culture, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, he discussed her body without her consent, et cetera, et cetera. And like he uh, made it sound like uh, like the most important thing about her is what her body looks like, which he did not. I mean, if you look at that article, it was. Uh, yeah, yeah it was I'll have to see the article because yeah. I don't really anyway, so, yeah, know yeah. it again. Anyway, so yeah. Uh, So he found himself in a position where basically he really pretty much like he he, his column was suspended and he also lost uh, like he told me at least uh, uh, he lost a bunch of opportunities like where he had articles lined up for various, you know, pop culture magazines that suddenly canceled them Mm -hmm. because so he basically lost like you know, thousands of dollars because of this one piece that he wrote that some people felt, you know, crossed the line. Yeah. Uh, and it was completely distorted in a lot of the criticism. I, yeah, I yeah, feel but, that personally too, yeah. because when I did yeah. my children's book, my chacha is gay. Like, you know, there was a campaign of people calling me Islamophobic and stuff just oh, for God. sharing this cute little book about love and tolerance. And I was painted yeah. as this horrible bigot. And, you know, the schools, uh, schools who were so interested in my book, like backed away from wanting to use it in an official capacity. So, yeah, yeah, and so I think we have this very real problem of uh, you know people uh, people being kind of speech policed and being punished for you know saying things that. Uh, you know, violate someone's sense of, you know, what is acceptable to say. Uh, So that's a real problem. And I think that we should oppose that. I mean, it hasn't. uh, I don't think anything has changed in that regard. But you know where that crosses the line for me is, yeah, is when people don't see any limits, right? Like, so when Milo goes onto a campus and targets a single student. Yes, that was going to be my next point. My next point. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think that it's fine to, to oppose that. It's fine to be against that. But, you know, first of all, I think that you really do have to be careful to, you know, not, cross the line into well as you said attacking individuals one thing and also i think you kind of have to be careful not to cross the line into legitimizing or you know condoning actual racism misogyny homophobia Mm -hmm. etc i mean it's one thing to say that oh well these people shouldn't be you know chased off the campus with pitchforks yeah said something offensive it's another thing to uh kind of legitimize what they said and uh you know to embrace um you know the sexist racist you know anti-muslim stereotypes um i mean you know 
you look at somebody like Lauren Southern. Uh, <laughs> I know you. Yeah, you're you're laughing. Yeah, because she started out as this sort of scrappy anti SJW young woman who was uh, you know saying all these uh, things that challenged the you know prevailing dogma. And I mean, you know, I, I don't know if you saw her her, her book. But I mean, you I know, saw the cover of it. I think I recall. Right, right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I mean, she's talking about she's referring to immigrants as you know the barbarians or something. Yeah, and the, the drugs of the third world or something. I mean, yeah, okay. When, when you get to that point, it's really pretty clear that, you know, you, you've kind of crossed. But you see, that sounds so reasonable. This is yeah. not what the average uh, free speech warrior, which is like the counterpart to the social justice warriors, like they go to no end defending Milo from accusations of racism. It's not just his speech. Then it's like, no, he's not racist. No, he's not this. No, he's not this. And then Spencer, right. Richard Spencer also, don't misrepresent oh. Richard Spencer, yeah. don't misrepresent Breitbart. It's like, wow. You know, if like yeah, I saw yeah. Lauren Southern on the Rupin Report making this lovely distinction about how, oh, so leftists are so silly, oh, yeah, they, yeah. they label everyone racist. And then she gives like Richard Spencer as an example saying, oh, yeah, they even call him Richard Spencer, the... The white ethno state promoting right. guy. Right. So they're like, oh, he's not a white supremacist. He's just yeah, a, he's white, a nationalist. white nationalist. Yes. Yeah, I, I love that distinction. I mean, that's real. And, and then uh, you talk about, you know, the people on campuses that tell you to sit in a circle and, you know, check your privilege or share your. So so I've been a victim of a campaign where it's the literal oppression Olympics. I don't know if you saw it on Twitter at all, but it's like you grew up in Saudi Arabia, but you had, you know, you had some, I did see that. Yes, yes, <laughs> some did access see that. to some comfort. So you're not oppressed enough. So you only dabbled in oppression. Yeah, I know. That's ridiculous. From what I saw of that, I, I mean, I did. I did absolutely think it was ridiculous. And uh, this is the SJ. This is such an SJW tactic, supposedly. Right. But it's. Right, it's totally right. used yeah, well, by I'll anti. Tell you that. I mean, if your if your struggle against the SGWs is leading you to, uh, you know, like try to explain why Richard Spencer isn't really a bad guy, I think you're kind of clearly on the wrong track. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. You know, thanks for I, that. I <laughs> I think that, that, so tell that. me about Milo as a former, like what, um, ally of Milo's. How oh, did that kind of shift? Well, I mean, I, I I think it shifted over time. Really, I mean, you know, I got to know Milo because of Gamergate. Uh, I mean, we we actually met in person at a, um, a Gamergate meetup in DC, the one that the, the the first Gamergate event that got disrupted by a bomb threat, and you know. Uh, I, you've never met him, right? But no. I mean, you've, you've seen him. I mean, he can be very charming in person. Oh, definitely, know. definitely. I agree. He's charming. Yeah, That's he's, why he's so uh, popular. Yeah, yeah he, he can be very funny. You know, he's. Um, and I mean, I, I think he's 
perfected this act where, you know, I, I don't know if you remember this. I uh, I came up with this um, uh, with this phrase, uh, Schrodinger's troll, you know, <laughs> where it's kind of like, you know, you're sort of both trolling and not trolling at the same time. So it's kind of like... It's hard to tell, yeah. yeah. None of this is really serious, but then maybe it kind of is. Yeah, and so I'm kind of going to say what yeah. I want, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think this is this is an act that really does give you know people like Milo um, an excuse for saying you know really really nasty things about you know women, racial minorities, Muslims, uh, in ways that. Um, uh, you know, like, again, like, if someone calls you on this, you can always say, oh, you know, come on, obviously, I was really just trying to piss off the SJW. Yes. You're also appealing to a lot of people who really do seriously believe, uh, you know, the, all these things, like, you know, uh, women are stupid, you know, and... Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, patriarchy is great, and uh, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera, and uh, and I think it's it's a way to get away with um, with really bigoted stuff. You know, there's no other way to to describe it really um, without quite taking responsibility for it mm. because you can always laugh it off if uh, you know if someone says, "Wait a minute," you know, the stuff you're saying is really horrible. Uh, so yeah. I mean, I, I think that I, it's, I remember that it started annoying me a while back. And, um, and really, I mean, the last straw for me was when Milo started praising the alt-right because that mm. was like, yeah, that was uh, really a bridge too far. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, um, you what know. about the I, pedophilia I, scandal, the, the promotion oh, of sex I, abuse? Yeah. Right, child right. sex abuse. Yeah, well, you know, uh, I mean, I think that probably Milo kind of was trying to be provocative, um, but who knows? I mean, he sells the stuff, and uh, and it's yeah, funny. you know, there's a joke that he repeatedly made about his priest being the oh, reason yeah, yeah, he's yeah. good at oral sex. Like, right, okay, I can see that as being some stupid, horribly wrong. Yeah, yeah. Trolly yeah. comment, but then he in in some of the other clips he's like seriously talking about how the problem the the concept of consent is you know problematic and authoritarian. Right, right. And how, yeah, and how you know a lot of young you know gay men who when they're still boys are kind of helped and yeah, discovered. Yeah, so that stuff is really yeah. That's I, I think that's where it crosses the line. And I mean when when he was talking about attending Hollywood parties when yeah, you know, and he saw this stuff happening. Very young boys. Uh, he didn't sound like he was joking you know at that time and I know that at his press conference later he kind of tried to explain it as you know, oh well, I'm a, a lot victim. Of gays. No, no, but he also said that when he said very young boys, he said, well, you know, in the gay community, it's actually sort of very common to refer to young adult males as boys. He talked yeah. about thirteen-year-olds specifically. Yeah, though. yeah, exactly. And he did say very young boys. I mean, when you say very young boys, Twice. that really does not imply. Like you know, twenty-year-olds to me. So, you know, I mean, I can I can see how you know people can refer to a twenty-year-old as a boy or a kid. But again, when you say very young boys, I, I, that, that to me implies. And yeah, what's funny is that you know the the biggest charge against many uh, 
Muslims is that, you know, they have this prophet and they support this pedophile. Oh, right, right. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's the same people that are defending Milo yeah. that are hating yeah. Muslims for having, a, right, you know, right. a prophet that right. liked children. Right. Yeah, and, you know, I've actually always thought, I mean, I think that there are very legitimate critiques of Islam. Oh, for I, sure. I mean, Muhammad, Muhammad as a pedophile always really struck me as kind of needlessly kind of confrontational and silly because it's profoundly ahistorical. I mean, you know, uh, if you look at that era in human history, a lot of European kings were married to... Like, yeah, you know, yeah. The thing is, girl. though, that many people use that to That's, justify it today, and oh, he's yeah, supposed and to be held up be, as a perfect yes, example for all time. Yeah, and I will tell you, by the way, something that I've always found really interesting, and to me it sort of illustrates, um, you know, productive versus unproductive approaches to, you know, in this case, let's say, reform, you know, Islamic reform. I know that there are people in the uh, Muslim scholarly uh, community who have tried to argue, right? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but they've tried to argue that, uh, it's actually a misunderstanding that Aisha was six years old, right? Yeah, they tried to say she's eighteen. She was eighteen. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you see, like people in the kind of anti-Islam polemicist circles, like really, uh, like try to dispute that, like foaming at the mouth, going, "No, no, no, this is a lie." You know, this is like people being Islamic apologists, and now they're just trying to cover up the fact that you know Muhammad was a pedophile. Okay, now, here's the thing. Given that the young age of Aisha is actually used by some people to, you know, justify child marriages today in the Islamic world, you know, wouldn't you actually want to support, you know, an effort by certain scholars within Islam to say, no, 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 wait, you've got that wrong. She actually wasn't six years old. And therefore, you know, we shouldn't be using this to excuse, uh, you know. Yeah, I kind of, I get both ends of that. Uh, So it frustrates me when people try to sanitize it and just lie about it. Like, oh, it was never homophobic or Islam was never misogynistic. It was just misinterpreted. So that kind of stuff always annoys me. So it it kind of falls under that. But you're right. But it is a kind of double-edged sword because I think, you know, that kind of sanitizing effort actually can, in some cases, lead to, you know, religious reform. I mean, you also see people trying to, you know, within the Christian tradition, you know, you see people trying to argue that, oh, you know, the the biblical verses about, you know, killing men for the offense of, you know, lying with another man. No, 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 that wasn't really about gay sex. It was about prostitution or, or, you know, pagan rights. No, it wasn't really, but, you know, but if it makes you happy to believe that it was, you know, like on the whole, I support those. You're not actually advocating, you know, killing gays or, you know, putting them in prison or something. So So we can support it. But I mean, if someone's going to get down into the nitty gritty and try to lie to me that I'm going to point it out but but yeah of course there are people who you know think everyone everyone of Muslim background is taqiyahing right like just lying this leads us perfectly into my next (laughs) topic for you is Robert Spencer my goodness why have you done to piss Uh, off the poor sweet man so much 
Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, well, it's kind of uh, actually a story that goes way back. Is uh, It goes back to... 2007, I think, yeah. I started paying attention to this uh, so-called um, anti-jihadist blogosphere. Uh, and, um, you know, in the beginning, I didn't really know about it. I did th- assume that it was directed at, uh, you know, extremism, terrorism, etc. And uh, when I started looking at some of those blogs, I just realized that there was this really genuinely bigoted tone uh, not just toward radical Islam or even, you know, fundamentalist Islam uh, or even Islam in general, but toward all Muslims, essentially. Mm -hmm. There was this... uh, Which he uh, denies, like, furiously. Uh, yeah, of course, but uh, you know, I, I think you you really just kind of have to look at his blog, and and I did at the time. Uh, I, I was actually blogging pretty regularly on my own blog, and um, I, I kind of compiled some examples that I thought were really telling. I mean, there was really there was one point when um, this uh, mysterious uh, what is it, Hugh Fitzgerald, the, this person who co-blogs with him, who apparently I. I I thought at one point that it was just uh, another, uh, you know, pseudonym for uh, Robert Spencer himself, <laughs> but apparently he is a separate person. Um, uh, anyway, yeah, he had this post that basically said that any Muslim living in the West, like if he hasn't openly renounced Islam, uh, he, even if he's completely secular, he's still dangerous because, you know, he could always revert to, um, you know, radical Islam, or if he doesn't, then his children might. And then actually I'm thinking, you know, the logic behind that is so ridiculous because even if he actually has denounced Islam, uh, how does that guarantee that his kids will not actually, you know, come back to Islam with a vengeance? You right. Know, it's, it, it could be literally anyone. Run out their father's shame or something because, you know, he's an apostate who's denounced Islam. So, I mean, it just really doesn't make any sense whatsoever in, in you know, whichever way you slice it. And, uh, um, you know, I just thought that that was such a ridiculous and kind of openly bigger. Yeah, argument. So- uh, also, just these blogs not just um, uh, not just Bob Spencer, but uh, you know Pam Geller. I think was beginning to blog at that time, and there were there was a bunch of others. Uh, they were promoting this incredible paranoia, where it's like anything that anyone with a Muslim name did that was criminal, you know, even if it had <laughs> no like terrorist connection whatsoever, uh, it was immediately branded as jihad. Uh, I mean, like, the, it was. The, the, I remember that at one point that there was a story where some guy who had a, I don't know if he was a practicing Muslim or not, but I mean, the guy was running a meth lab out of his home that he accidentally <laughs> blew up or something. <laughs> so they said it was like a meth jihad? Yeah, meth jihad. <laughs> and there was all this stuff on these anti-jihad blogs that was like, oh, this is more more, more lone wolf terrorism. And um, there was also, oh, I actually remember now what initially drew my attention to this. Uh, there was a um, uh, an incident in Oklahoma where this guy who, you know, by all appearances had really nothing to do with Muslims or Islam, uh, his name was, I think, Joel Henrich. Uh, he was, you know, uh, he he was not uh, of 
you know, either Arab or, you know, Pakistani or whatever origin. Um, he came from a Christian family. He committed suicide on the, oh, I believe it was the Oklahoma State University campus in a rather sort of unusual way, which is basically that he blew himself up with a bomb. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's not common, you know, but he had a bomb in his, uh, in his knapsack and he set it off. Uh, he left some kind of note, the contents of, contents of which were never disclosed. Um, and uh, he did this uh, like not very far from a stadium during a football game. So suddenly there were all these rumors that started to circulate that he had tried to get inside the stadium with his backpack and was denied entry, which, by the way, he did not show up on any security cameras. Uh, there was a story that he uh, you know, was actually a Muslim convert and a, a jihadist who had planned a terrorist attack. And in the evidence for him, him being a Muslim was like along the lines of, oh, well, he had a Pakistani roommate. Okay, you know? <laughs> well, you know. With like five blocks of a mosque. Okay, well. That could be know. anyone, yeah. So did a lot of other people in the area, obviously. So, yeah, and, and it was just um, this. I, I wrote a column about it at the time I was writing for the Boston Globe, uh, and it was this completely ridiculous thing, which, uh, you know, I could only imagine how horrible it must have been for this young man's family, which was already going through a really, really horrible time, you know, with their son and brother or whatever you know, committing suicide in this really, really grisly way. So was it reported anywhere else as a, like any credible source as a, like an Islam related? I mean, eventually the Wall Street Journal did a piece about the rumors because, you know, the, 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 these rumors on the blogs started to circulate in, you know, in a way that you really had to pay attention to eventually. And, you know, the FBI completely denied that, uh, you know, those had any sort of terrorist connection but of course the, the kind of the party line on these blogs as oh well of course the fbi is just covering things up you know because they are soft on jihad and you know they they want to they, they don't want to thumb the muslims and so on so it's like you know the, 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 there there was this um very intense uh, push to say that this is a cover-up um michelle malkin was also pushing this i think she even wrote about it in in her syndicated column so it kind of went a little bit beyond the blogs um but that was really my first exposure i think to this anti-jihadist blogosphere and then i'm i, I actually don't think an anti-jihadist is a bit of a misnomer don't you think yeah, exactly yeah yeah and uh you know robert spencer actually didn't write about that case i think uh, there was another case that he was um kind of flogging at the time which is fairly close to where i live there, there was a coptic uh family in jersey city that that was murdered and it was again you know another really tragic horrible case where a whole family was murdered on their house and a bunch of bloggers you know including i'm pretty sure bob spencer was on that started claiming that this was uh basically done by radical muslims and the uh, was being covered up by the police in Jersey City uh, because, again, you know, they wanted to cover up the extent of, um, you know, Muslim terrorism. Everything and, is uh, a conspiracy with Robert. 
the past right and eventually of course when and i think it was like the speculation was based on the fact that the police took a while to complete the investigation which you know sometimes will happen um and very often as i'm sure you know you know they will not they will be very tight-lipped about you know the leads that they're following because they don't want to you know alert the suspects to the fact that you know they may be onto them mm-hmm. and i think that's what was going on in this case eventually they did announce that they found the killers and it was a robbery uh you know a break-in uh, uh that took this tragic turn of this whole family being slaughtered and, and it's horrible you know mm-hmm. but um but it didn't have any kind of terrorist or you know or, or religion related connection they were not targeted because they were coptic uh, christians um and and again, there was this incredible amount of scaremongering, and you know, I I looked at this and I thought, wow, you know, like this is this whole segment of the blogosphere that is, uh, you know, promoting uh, these really irresponsible rumors and um, kind of targeting Muslims as a group and promoting this, uh, uh, you know, paranoia about Muslims. Because you know what I thought um, after nine eleven, and I actually. Uh, wrote about it at the time. I mean, I thought it was really remarkable and, and, and incredibly commendable for the United States and kind of a you know something to be proud of. That you know, by and large, except for a few sort of isolated attacks, um, there was no targeting of Muslims. And you know, we if you compare this to you know the internment of Japanese Americans, for instance, I mean, in this instance, we had um, you know George W. Bush at the time and Rudy Giuliani. You know, whatever one may think about him now, and you know, <laughs> uh, but at the time, he actually took a really strong stance. You know, saying you know Muslims uh, who live in our midst are not the enemy. You yeah, know? you know, I look back at some of the stuff now, and it seems like, in comparison to Trump, like wow. No, you know? yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, so at the time, yeah, uh, all, all these leaders were basically saying, you know, we're not going to target, yeah. um, you know, peaceful Muslims. And I thought that was just this great sign of the progress that we've made since uh, World War Two. you know, morally. Uh, that, you know, even though we were attacked by people from this group, we're not going to say, oh, you know, you're, you as a group are evil and, you know, suspect. Yeah. I mean, there were, there were people saying that. Yeah, but the, the leaders oh, were, sorry, yeah. yeah, yeah, and and I do think that you know to some extent. But that's I, why Robert Spencer doesn't like Bush, right? Oh, <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe. So yeah, so that's how uh, Robert Spencer first came to my attention, and um, I wrote something on my blog um, criticizing him, and then we kind of went a few rounds of back and forth, and you know, I think he actually invited me to debate him on his own blog and then I looked at some of the commenters there and I said you know what I mean I really don't think that this is something I want to do you know I'll be happy to uh, you know exchange um, uh, you know like back and forth posts on our respective blogs but you know I really don't feel like you know venturing into that particular um, environment right well he's really Uh, upset with you when I had him on my show, like I was just asking him about some stuff that you that you wrote, um, you know, because I thought it was a good article and it pointed to some real issues. 
And he was hostile from the start. Like that article you mentioned that's written by his co-blogger that says that you basically can't trust right. any Muslim, even secular. I brought that up and first he started laughing that, oh yeah, you don't even have anything by me, even though I had talked about many things by him up to right, that point. Right. But And then he went on to basically endorse what it said. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, he's just like, well, yeah, you know, uh, anyone can. Uh, I don't remember the exact words of the conversation, but he certainly didn't say, oh, yeah, that's not that's not right or anything. So, yeah, yeah, no, that's a funny thing. And, you know, I mean, again, I, I don't really like right now have, um, you know, Robert Spencer's writings at my fingertips. But, yeah, I mean, he has certainly said things that, you know, more than imply that, um, you know, all Muslims are to be viewed as suspect. And, of course, if you look at Pam Geller, yeah, I mean, she's completely out of control. Who he thinks is great, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the fact that he thinks she's great, I mean, you know, she's written things like, um, and I I think, by the way, he he has, uh, like, this really vehement hostility that he has toward me now, I think, is partly based on the articles that I've written about Pam Geller, because I think before that, I mean, he was always kind of sniping at me and calling me a useful idiot, but I think it's kind of gone to a whole new level. Um, So, yeah, I mean, Pam Geller does things like, uh, you know, one thing I found that was just bizarre. Um, She uh, made a post on her blog about vehicular jihad. Oh, yeah. Yeah, people uh, using their cars to commit terrorism. And this is, of course, like basically anyone she can find with a Muslim-sounding name who's involved in any kind of motor vehicle accident. Robert also was uh, all fine with that on my podcast episode as well. And I'm... Like, right, right. I bewildered mean, by this. Just, we're talking about like this really out of control paranoia. And um, one example that was especially egregious, she gave the example of someone who she, you know, flagged as a vehicular jihadist. Uh, someone. So any Muslim and, having a car accident, you know, for anyone yeah, listening, and, yeah, is and a vehicular is a guy, jihadist. Boy, this is a guy who, <laughs> Uh, whose car slammed into uh, like the the wall of a supermarket. He had a heart attack, though, right? And he, he died himself. I mean, he. This must have been a really like incredibly incompetent jihadist because you know, like the only person that he actually succeeded in killing was himself. Wasn't there a case where it turned out to be like a practicing doctor who just yes, happened to have a heart attack? And yeah. it turned out that actually he had had a heart attack behind the wheel. And so, really, it's just you know this really tragic case that she decided to use for for you know as her uh, political fodder, and the thing that was really disgraceful was that when she uh, found out, like when the news came that uh, it was a heart attack, she didn't actually like post an update and apologize. She just scrubbed the item from mm, her That's so and wrong. And it still remained. I mean, I still came across it. That item still remained in a couple of like aggregate, uh, you know, like there are blogs that will aggregate 
you know, uh, posts from various other blogs. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it stayed in a couple of those. And of course, they don't look at the updates. So, Mm -hmm. you know, this false information that she did not update still remained out there. And, um, you know, and and I remember that when I pointed this out, I I think um, Bob and Pam did this response to me together. And they basically tried to argue that, you know, Billy just simply removing the pop of the post that turned out to be inaccurate really like was the standards of good journalism <laughs> and like no actually when you you know when you post false information you don't just try to scrub it from existence you right, actually right. Like, post an update saying yeah you know i was wrong about this there's been a lot of debate about how correct robert spencer is and in his interpretations of you know various aspects of the quran you know i have no idea i'm not a scholar in the quran i mean you know quite honestly robert spencer probably knows it better than i do so you know i will grant him that um yeah but the thing is he projects that on to like every Muslim, like his issue with any Muslim politician taking the oath on the Quran is ridiculous because I mean, other holy scriptures are full of violent, yeah, of violent stuff I mean, as the well. The Bible says you should kill gays. I mean, then and of course, and of course, you know, with both the Bible and I'm sure the Quran, you know, the, 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 there are ways in which you know liberal Christians and Jews. Yeah kind of, you know, try to dance around the themselves in, intolerant things that I've found in those <laughs> scriptures. And I'm sure that, you know, there are reformist Muslims who can do the same thing with the Quran. And, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, I think that, uh, uh, you know, I, I really find it kind of ridiculous when um, uh, some people, and I'm pretty sure Robert Spencer is among them, will say things like, oh, well, like these people who are trying to pretend that the Quran is, is not extreme uh, and that it can be reconciled with you yeah. know, reformist Muslim, uh, you know, reformist Islam, uh, they're, they're just being hypocritical, etc. Well, again, you can level the same accusation at liberal Christians and Jews because... Well, yeah. What's the what's the end goal here is what I always wonder. What do they want, oh, right? Yeah. If you want to lessen the extremism, you should be okay with people kind of who ignore parts of the Quran or who don't live by it word to word. Just like that's that's good. Oh, absolutely. Instead absolutely. of holding I, everyone I, to a literalist uh, interpretation, you can't do that. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, I'm really glad, by the way, to see Ayan Hirsi Ali kind of go in the direction of encouraging reformist Islam, because, you know, she's an atheist herself, and she has said some pretty harsh things about Mm. Islam. But, you know, I think that's a really good direction she's going in. Really, if you look at um, what Spencer and uh, Pam Geller have done, I mean, they've repeatedly sort of disparaged reformist Muslims. I mean, they've... Yeah, people who are... Accused of being horrible Islamophobes themselves, like Majid yeah, Nawaz. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah. Robert like, Spencer said he acts like an Islamist or something. It's, yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. it was just absurd. He doesn't yeah. like uh, Ir- Irshad Manji, anyone. 
Everyone yeah, has issues yeah, with. He has issues yeah, with me. I'm not yeah, even Muslim. Chaucer, you know, whom even Fox News loves, you know, like he's their <laughs> sort of president Muslim. And, you know, he's gotten viciously attacked by, uh, uh, you know, by uh, by Pam Geller and uh, Bob Spencer. So, yeah, it just really doesn't make any sense. And, you know, and then, of course, I, I think we also have um, people doing this sort of Muslim bashing for uh, just for publicity, mm. you know. It's a hot selling topic these days. Yeah, and you know, like Milo bathing in a you know tub of pig's blood or whatever as performance <laughs> art. Milo is such uh, an idiot. Of, Milo, speaking of Milo, we completely forgot to mention, and you know, speaking of Milo and performance art, <laughs> we forgot to mention this twelve million um, dollar. Um, investment i guess that he's right 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 how horrifying is that that yeah and it's like you know and i'm thinking you know like this is money that actually could have been used to promote like intelligent discussion which we we really need right now because you know i mean i really do think that uh you know that political correctness and you know the stifling of discourse um in the name of these you know left-wing sensibilities and identity politics is a real problem but you know instead of having actual intelligent and free discussion you know what are we going to get we're going to get you know milo promoting um uh, you know the sort of um, I don't even know what what to call it. I mean, he basically says that he'll be like making the lives of um, feminists and journalists and BLM activists, and, you know, Black Lives Matter people, etc., a living hell or something like that. You know, I mean, that's just really and that sounds know. useful. Yeah, just yeah. what we need. Yeah, so it's yeah, it's gonna be it's just gonna really continue the cycle of, uh, um, you know, cycle of uh, madness, I guess, of polarization too, right? Like, so when oh. they push more and more extreme people like Milo, then you know the people on the left uh, who people find extreme are also the loudest, right? So then this polarization oh, increases and increases and increases, and that's what's happening. Oh uh, yeah, so I think it's just going to be more trolling, and uh, and it's very depressing, really. <laughs> it really is, but and and I wish you know people on on my side, the left. I wish they would resort to like I don't know, coming up with intelligent, creative ways to sort of troll Milo back if he's being put in the public sphere, rather than screaming and. Uh, giving him exactly what he wants, right? Like, after after a certain point, though, as we discussed, he has targeted individuals. It should be, you know, only responsible behavior that he people like him shouldn't be invited onto campuses, I believe, firmly. Once he's crossed that line, why are we inviting speakers that put students at risk? But had he not crossed that line, then I think that creatively trolling him is a better tactic. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's, uh, I, I think that's very true. Um, and yeah, I mean, I do think that he has kind of crossed a line in that sense. Um, so yeah, I, I would, I would agree with that. Um, I mean, you know, I assume that he I mean, I don't know, like, are the people who are inviting him even, like, trying to get him to, 
like commit to not attacking any individual students because that would it would seem to me that that at the very least should be a requirement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But we don't really yeah, know. So I don't know what's going on there. I mean, yeah. I think responsibility is really kind of sorely lacking on. Uh, on all sides, mm. and, and yeah, and I mean, in the case of the the debate about Islam, uh, I mean, I think it's uh, it, it's really really sad that it's been released, uh, that it's been reduced to this like polarization where it's either you know oh, all Muslims are evil, like unless you've converted and uh, uh, you know or become an uh, like an anti-Muslim atheist and you know, openly denounce Islam. Uh, it's either that or, you know, we're, you know, we have the, the kind of the opposite extreme of a lot of um, a lot of people on the left, a lot of liberals, um, you know, essentially arguing that, uh, uh, well, extremism is really no greater a problem in Islam than it is in any other religion. Well, Believe I mean, me, it's so frustrating to be caught yeah, in the middle I mean, of I this. Make that argument with regard to, you know, certain periods in history. I mean, sure. I mean, I think it is kind of ridiculous when, again, you know, Robert Spencer uh, tries to, you know, rebut the the, the really very, uh, you know, uh, well-founded scholarly consensus that in the Middle Ages, for instance, it was better to be a Jew living in a Muslim country than a Christian one. I mean, you know, there is a reason that, you know, when Jews got kicked out of, of a number of European countries, uh, they went to places like Egypt, and, you know. Robert just gets really petty, though. Like, he's yeah. he's tried to, I don't know, say, oh, the shape of, you know, don't is stolen from so and so, and it's not. Yeah, I mean, Islam came after, right? <laughs> That's not even his point. He just wants to like discredit anything Islamic. It just seems really pointless. Like, yes, Islam is a newer religion, so obviously it will have borrowed. Even I'll even say plagiarized things from other religions. Oh, but, so, you know, but I think, again, that's kind of, I, I mean, I, I, I'm joking about cultural appropriation, but it's really kind of the same principle. I mean, cultures and religions develop uh, partly by kind of exchanging uh, intellectual content mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, and so on. I mean, you know, if you look at um, the structure of Christian churches, they borrowed a lot from Roman temples, yeah. uh, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, people build and borrow what has come before them and I mean there have been I mean Christianity as it developed in medieval Europe you know borrowed all sorts of things from mm-hmm. paganism mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah of course um, yeah so what's happened now is that this critique of Islam versus hatred of Muslims it's become such a hindrance right so people like Tommy Robinson Robert Spencer they're, they, they may say they're not anti-Muslim but and Milo too, but they very clearly say a lot of stuff that can be perceived as being anti-Muslim. Yeah, well, I I think not just can be perceived, but really. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Uh, And uh, I mean, I think, well, Milo especially, because of course Milo is a performer, but Milo will say things like, well, you know, we've just got to admit that you can either have uh, you know, um, the freedom and, uh, you know, gay, gay liberation and women's emancipation in your countries where you can have Muslims. But and he doesn't like those things either. 
<laughs> well, that's <laughs> yeah. It's kind of it's kind of ironic that uh, you know there's a number of people who really only seem to like feminism when uh, it's for like, Saudi women. Use it as a use it as a stick to beat uh, Muslims with, basically, or Western feminists with. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's an interesting question, and I know that you've uh, you've addressed this, I think, on your blog. And um, uh, I mean, I, I've definitely seen you talk about it, this whole issue of uh, you know people on the right essentially saying, uh, oh, you know, you Western feminists are preoccupied with these uh, you know completely ridiculous uh, you know petty things uh, when the real issues uh, for women are are basically like out there on the Muslim world where women are, you know, forced into burqas and, uh, you know, subjected to general mutilation and, um, uh, uh, you know, stoned for adultery and so on and so forth. And, uh, you know, I mean, I'm probably somewhat more sympathetic to this argument than you are, but at the same time, I can definitely see how, uh, I mean, you know, it can certainly be taken to uh, really bizarre and ridiculous extremes. Like, like just on the ra- rape one, the rape Yeah, one, yeah, there was this ridiculous tweet where, what, what was it? Remind me, it was something like, <laughs> stop, stop talking about your rape or something? It was like, well, one person said, stop talking about your rape privilege, or, or I don't remember the exact wording, but it was something about Western women will always have privilege and being raped doesn't change that. Uh, because Saudi women have it worse. The other one was like a tweet to a woman who was saying that, well, you know, if you think all uh, Western women have it so good, well, I'm one of these women in the West who was raped and stalked by her rapist. And the response was, well, I'm so sorry that that happened to you, but at least you weren't forced to marry a rapist or stoned to death. Uh-huh, right. Well, you know, I, I, I will tell you one thing, and I mean, you may disagree with me. Yeah, okay. But, uh, I think that, first of all, of course, it's absolutely horrible and unacceptable and, well, just really boneheaded uh, to use that kind of argument to, uh, you know, invalidate someone's uh, suffering or, you know, to to sort of be dismissive about it or to suggest that, you know, that they should console themselves by saying that you know, people in other countries have it worse. Um, that said, I mean, I think that, um, uh, how shall I put it? I mean, I don't think that even like perfect equality would be a guarantee against, you know, bad things happening to people. Of course. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, I mean, I don't think that the fact of a woman being stalked and raped necessarily like per se invalidates uh, the idea that, uh, you know, you know, whether or not we can argue about, you know, to what extent women actually have full equality in the West. But I mean, to say that, well, women aren't really equal in the West because I was raped and stalked by my rapist. I don't think that is really quite a, I mean, that argument doesn't... No, I don't think that's the argument. It's There's a lot of legislation and stuff that people were arguing right. about. Mean, if, you can say, if you can say, well, you know, I was raped and, you know, my the, the rapist went free because, 
you know, the jury decided mm-hmm. that I provoked it by wearing, you know, sexy mm-hmm. clothes, then, you know, then we're talking about something altogether different. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I think that, uh, I mean, there's a lot of, um, uh, like, I mean, I, rem- I, I, I will say that when I read your blog post, like listing the issues that you think kind of the legitimate issues that feminists have in the West. I did sort of disagree with a number of them because I felt that a lot of these weren't really like necessarily gender issues per se. Uh, you know, like people being attacked, uh, like they're, 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 and I've written about this. I mean, there's been so, okay. So let me just ask women. If yeah. you do, you consider yourself an anti-feminist? No. Well, no. okay. Let's uh, little, uh, let's backtrack a little bit. Because, uh, okay, I mean, I've been described as everything from a feminist to an anti-feminist, you know, and something in between. Um, I mean, I uh, don't like the term anti-feminist. I mean, I've seen people use it who make arguments that are somewhat similar to mine. Uh, but the reason I don't like it is that, um, I, you know, feminism does have the dictionary definition of, you know, believing in the equality of men and women. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, now I certainly think that, uh, you know, given that a lot of feminists, you know, in in the West, a lot of feminists in, you know, the United States today, uh, I think, are advocating for something else. Uh, I mean, are in, and in some cases are, in my view, just really openly promoting hostility to, to men as a group. I mean, I think it's certainly possible to say, and I've seen, you know, very smart, intelligent people say, well, I do not consider myself a feminist Mm -hmm. because, you know, I don't think um, feminism in its current form, um, you know, represents those things Mm -hmm. that I believe in. And I think the argument that I've also seen of, you know, basically saying, well, you know, how can you not call yourself a feminist when, you know, feminism really just means the quality of men and women. So, you know, if you believe in that, you should call yourself a feminist. Well, you know, I think it's really every person's business. Exactly. You can't force labels onto people. And I mean, if someone believes um, that, you know, the label has been discredited by a lot of the people who use it and they're going to say, well, because of that, I'm not going to use it anymore. I think that's totally their right. Um, on the other hand, I will say that uh, when you use the word anti-feminist, I think because of that dictionary definition, to a lot of people, that means you're against equality. And I think there is that sort of confusion of terms. And I think... Um, but there are people who self-identify as anti-feminist. And there are also people who are anti-equality. Oh, of course. Yeah. And it's... It, it, yeah, I was going to say that. It, it, it's very confusing because, I mean, I have... Again, I have seen people... Uh, like even people have this in their profiles where they will say, you know, uh, anti-feminist, gender egalitarian. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, okay, that's going to be confusing to many people, but I mean, I think that if, if that's the way they want to identify, fine. Uh, I'm just not other, impressed by I'm not impressed yeah, by that yeah, when I, I see that. I mean, I think it's I, I've seen some people use the term non-feminist, which you know, which which I think is is a little less uh, less confusing. But the thing is also that I think a lot of the time, like when people um, use the term anti-feminist or when they, you know, bash feminism, a lot of the time I think it does attract, you know, a following of people who are against equality, who are are genuinely misogynistic. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think that because of that, you know, I don't really like the the sort of the anti-feminist label. I mean, I've sometimes used the term dissident feminist. Okay. and, you know, I mean, I, I also see the argument. I, I do believe that there are, you know, legitimate, um, you know, men's issues and ways in which, um, you know, w- ways in which I do believe that men are um, sort of on the receiving end of gender bias. Right. So, OK. So when it comes so to I men's issues. I the argument that, you know, if you use the word feminist, it's sort of because of the root of that word in, you know, femina, it automatically sort of seems to imply that you stand for women's rights only. And then, of course, you get into all these confusing arguments like, I mean, this has even been going on among feminists themselves, where you have some people using feminist in the equality sense and some people using feminist in the sort of pro-woman sense. It sort of seems like an all lives matterification if you do the gender egalitarian thing to me. So, like, I'm definitely not anti Men, I find them fine. They're great. They're normal people just like me. Some of them are awful. Some of them are good. Yeah. yeah, Um, But I'm very for women's rights specifically, like concentrating on women's rights. And that's why I call myself a feminist and I get irritated when people think egalitarian is a good substitute because to me that's like saying all lives matter so, so do, do, do you see that argument a little bit or um, yeah well you know i see it um well and i don't even really want to get into the whole black lives matter yeah, issue because, yeah because i mean i um i mean i think uh, that's really more of a response to a kind of very specific argument that, you know, blacks are disproportionately killed. And, uh, and you know, and I think that it's kind of a different uh, for me. Like, there's a real difference uh, in the sense between... Uh, uh, you know, uh, between the situation of women and the situation of African Americans, because uh, you know, no, I mean, yeah, I, I'm not drawing a parallel. I'm just like, the, like the, the um, I think the disadvantaged position of African Americans is really just so much more, you know, indisputable in in many ways uh, on all sorts of, uh, you know, measures of, uh, you know, whether it's economic, uh, whether it's, uh, you know. Well, I mean, that's a whole separate conversation. I'm not trying to draw a parallel between race and gender. I'm just saying. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a little different in the case of women, because I think there is a more uh, kind of feasible case to be made that in some areas, you know, women are the ones who 
uh, I kind of hate the word privilege at this point, but I mean, I think, you know, like, for instance, women actually are much less likely than men to, like, experience police brutality when they do get arrested. Mm -hmm. And, you know, women generally get, for instance, shorter sentences than men in in criminal court. uh, Sure, there might be some some areas, but I I mean, I I think this is where the core of our disagreements are, is I I generally do think that we're still not um, at a place where women are equal and perhaps you, you think that we are more so than I do. So that's a core Probably, disagreement. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's why you won't find my, you know, list of feminist concerns and, you know, legislations and sentences and whatever probably to your liking. So I guess we'll just have to agree to disagree on that because we're probably going to then argue endlessly. I'm sure that we could probably at some point, you know, debate some of those specific things. Uh, And, uh, uh, you know, I mean, I think that there are certainly legitimate issues. Um, I mean, I I think the the attacks on abortion rights, for instance, are definitely a big cause for concern. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, is it an attack by men? on women um you know not necessarily a lot of the most uh, <laughs> kind of you know the most radical people in the pro-life movement are women and i mean if if we actually had a congress that was majority female but we uh, don't, don't right so that they we, don't. You know, so I, it's always the men. Men are usually making the decisions for the laws. So I mean, there there was like a picture of all these American old white men uh, on it on a table making decisions about women's reproductive health. And it just reminded me so much of, uh, you know, obviously there's no moral equality between Saudi Arabia and, and the U.S. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, was that the uh, was that the, the, the picture of Trump meeting with the congressional leaders about the health deal, the, the health care deal or something? I think so. I think that was the that wasn't really about abortion so much as it was the Freedom Caucus that, you know, uh, didn't like the current bill and which happens to be all male. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there are certainly um, uh, in, in some of the state legislatures, if you look at some of the people who've been leading um, the charge on uh, anti-abortion legislation, uh, some of those have been women. So, you know, I mean, some, I, some I, I have, but in I, Washington, the, the Republican leadership right now is pretty male. Um, right. Uh, so we can go endless in circles about this. That's what I'm saying, right? So we're just, we're not going to come to an agreement. You know, my my, my point is, you know, we could elect, you know, Sarah Palin and, you know, or Michelle Bachman and we could elect, you know, 300 more of them to Congress. We could, but we haven't, right? Yeah. We haven't, yeah. so... Well, you know, I mean, eventually that will probably happen. I mean, there are a lot e- eventually, of... Eventually, then we can have this conversation. <laughs> but but speaking about the... Um, about how... You know how you mentioned earlier about how this social justice stuff leads to people losing their jobs for silly things? Right. And, and feminism, I think, is a good lead up to this. Is You tweeted this article about this. I think it was a developer... Who lost right, his right. job over some kink sex 
thing, this subculture that I had never heard of. So you re- like, oh, that, I've heard about it. <laughs> it really messed yeah. with my head, right? Because it, there was two conflicting parts of me. Like, are, I'm very sex positive, very kink positive, right. BDSM right. positive. Yeah, and this then, is a very male dominated kind of, you know, men are the masters and women. Right. Are so it's literal, story. like it's a literal culture, like a subculture where they talk about very gendered sexual slavery, right? Right, um, right. Although he claims that it isn't necessarily, and that there are like there are people in the subculture who are into that, and there are people who aren't. I so, mean, so I, the subculture I mean, is I called. Do know that the, the the books that it's based on really are very much into sort of the idea of the innate male dominance. So you know, it yeah, it really was like a system of natural order from what I could tell right, from reading yes, it, right? Yes, so yes, I'm coming into it as a, like a completely clueless pair of eyes. I was just reading up on whatever I could find. It didn't have an agenda. Uh, in fact, I was conflicted myself. Uh, so I was just trying to understand it. And it's called what, the Gorian subculture yes, based on right. a bunch of, yeah, a, a bunch of books? Uh, G-O-R is, I think, the name of the world in which these books take place so that's uh, you know that's also the name of the of the subculture um and i forget the name of the guy who writes these but uh uh but yeah i mean it's it's very it's seen as very you know to use one of my least favorite words at the moment problematic (laughs) (laughs) that's a perfectly good word by the way that has been completely ruined by the social justice crowd (laughs) you're not the first person i've heard say that appropriate uh, you know uh, but yeah I mean, that's a really interesting case because um, you know I mean I think a lot of us would probably do have some you know moral um, you know issues with uh, that subculture and you know we kind of you know we may view it with a certain amount of distaste uh, on the other hand you know it seems to me that as long as the guy, um, doesn't bring it into his professional interactions. And, you know, he claims, and I've never seen, uh, I think, anyone really rebut that. He claims that he has always been, you know, perfectly respectful and egalitarian in his interactions with women professionally. And, you know, given that, I don't really see how um, and why he should be subject to uh, you know, to professional uh, retaliation. Okay, but suppose, suppose, like you truly believe that women should be sexual slaves, right? And you keep it out of out of the workplace. I don't know the extent of that. That he did that is also not clear. So I'm not sure if he let. Yeah, I mean, I think his argument is that he's never. I mean, certainly no one has ever produced you know any writings by him that advocate the you know that argue that. You know, the only place that women have in life is to be sexual slaves. I mean, I think his, uh, I think he has argued in his defense that, yeah, you know, it's basically like people who are involved in that subculture and, uh, you know, and many of the women who are involved in it, I mean, that's kind, kind of a part of their lives. They may be, uh, you know, perfectly independent professional women and other aspects of their yeah, lives. I mean, so this is what bothers me about it, right? Like I, I have known professional dominatrixes and even the reverse i've had no issue with it when it doesn't like sort of come with this gendered thing 
So I've known people who engage in that kind of, in, you know, a hardcore BDSM kink and play and right, have right. a master and slave relationship, but it's not like gendered, right? So this is right. one yeah. difference. And I think from what I've read is that it goes beyond, the ideology goes beyond like the bedroom, right? So that's another difference. Right. This isn't some like fetish party in the back room where you're walking a girl in a dog collar. This is a bit more than that. It seems to extend into your like life philosophy. And so suppose someone wanted to start a subculture based on like ISIS role play, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) And if you just truly believe that women were sexual slaves or Yazidis were sexual slaves and what like what if your boss discovered that you know is is that not a fair thing to fire you for like i mean even if it's just again you know i would have to know like the specific details of um uh, you know of what was going on there and you know what the subculture was like i mean the way that he describes it sounds like it's something that you know, really should not be, um, um, you know, sort of a permanent black mark against you in terms of employment. But he's obviously going to just like, yeah, he's going to destroy yeah, describe yeah. it like that. Now, I mean, I don't, in a way, like we don't really even know enough of what was being alleged. Um, um, you know, I mean, people, um, I mean, it's kind of like, I guess, it also depends on how seriously you take this role play. I mean, you know, like if somebody was, let's say, involved in uh, some sort of, you know, Nazi role play in, you know, the context of World War II reenactments or something, mm. you know, that would be one thing. On the other hand, like if you were involved in, in some sort of subculture that actually did espouse Nazi Nazi ideology. Yeah. Yeah. I can see how that could be, um, you know, definitely, uh, definitely held against you. But, you know, it's complicated because, um, you know, like if you think about it, there are, for instance, um, you know, traditional religions uh, that also uh, espouse the notion of female obedience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, are we going to say that anyone who follows those religions uh, should be unemployable? <laughs> or, you well, know? there's okay. So if you're following the slavery, like uh, the slavery part, like right, then that's extreme, right? So. Say you're just you're a Muslim, but you truly believe in the right. parts of Scripture that talk about slavery and sexual slavery, and you and you're discovered talking about that and espousing that. Well, elsewhere. I mean, certainly if you if you're if you're actually holding slaves in your basement, you know, that's I think that's the no, point. no, not even slaves. You, know, you don't well, have to have slaves. Well. In some of these cultures, there are like you know opt-in slaves, right? So. Right. Some people might have slaves in their basement, but they're willing. I mean, that a lot, you know, in our society, anything that goes on, you know, of that sort is uh, is consensual. And yeah, I mean, I can. I mean, it's a really, really fine line because on the one hand, you know, I do believe in freedom of association and I do believe that, you know, if you 
as, uh, let's say, as an employer, you know, or uh, as a professional association, you know, if you want to reject people who, you know, who uh, espouse certain ideas that you consider to be deeply offensive, um, I think, you know, in a way, I would argue that you certainly have that right. I mean, my... um, Again, you know, I guess my, my question is, how far do we go with yeah. that? Yeah, I mean, I was actually speaking to a, an HR person about this because you, I, it really messed with my head so much. So I have a friend in, in HR and I called him up uh-huh. and talked to him about it. And, you know, he was he was telling me about how uh, people have been fired for like Ashley Madison and using, say, like company email, company phones, uh to contact mistresses and things like set up huh. dates with, with sex yeah. workers. Um, so if that can happen, then I think an ideology based on only female enslavement sexually is a bit more intense. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, in a way I would agree with you, but I, I guess that's a question of, you know, are we talking about people doing things completely on their private time or are you talking about things that actually do implicate the employer? Because I think that's the line that a lot. Of yeah. So if talk. like say company email was used or company phone was used, would you then consider this uh, a case to be more fair? Like again, again, we don't have all the details, so it very well yeah, could be. I, I think certainly. I, I mean, I, I th- that would certainly give the company um, more of a, uh, a right to uh, you know consider this uh, in you know deciding whether to associate with this person in the future. Or you know, for instance, if let's say. Um, you know, the, this guy was using professional conferences to recruit women into this lifestyle, and you know there were there was actual evidence that. But this then was you see, recruitment up. is also up for debate. What's recruitment? Is he just getting to know them there? Is he just initiating them with a secret handshake, or right. is it more than yeah, that? You could, in those circumstances, I, I, I think you could see how the company would say, "Well, you know, wait a minute, you know, if he is." at this company, I mean, if he is at this conference as our representative, you know, then we don't really want him to, you know, be engaged in that kind of lifestyle, you know, on our time, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think there are a lot of a lot of complicated issues there. But uh, but at the same time, uh, just given the climate uh, that we currently have. I mean, I'm very concerned about, um, you know, how far does this argument eventually extend? I mean, what lifestyles and what um, personal preferences do we eventually uh, decide our grounds for? Um, sure, sure. I mean, I can, I can understand that. I mean, are we eventually going to say, you know, well, you can't work for us if you belong to a church that doesn't accept same-sex marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's, uh, I mean, is that the road we're going down eventually? Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that, um, you know, th- there's been a lot of talk about the extent to which um, sort of out-of-control political correctness uh, brings on uh, the sort of the opposite, the sort of Trumpian backlash. And I do think it's a real thing. I mean, I think that there is a sense in which um, 
you know, as much as I support the sort of social liberation movements that, uh, um, you know, promote uh, individual freedom, uh, you know, as opposed to sort of submission to traditional strictures on personal behavior um, that are, you know, a part of many religions. Um, I do worry that there is a danger of sort of making the public square, so to speak, so hostile to traditional ideas that you're going to find a kind of growing polarization and splintering Mm -hmm. where you're going to see a lot of religious people kind of withdraw into pockets of society that are really like pretty isolated from mainstream culture, if you see what I mean, because that is what, because if that starts happening, I think that one danger is that we're going to see like increasingly, like ultra conservative and even reactionary ideas kind of prevail. We're seeing that, aren't we? Though communities, yeah, and I think we're already seeing that. Mm-hmm. But I think there is a real danger there because, like, if if more and more like religious people start pulling away from mainstream culture, there's going to be a kind of self radicalization. Because so, what do you rec- like? What do you recommend to that? Like, isn't it? Isn't it a good thing that, uh, you know, we are going towards social liberation and not adhering to these traditional ideas, but then you're saying it alienates the more traditional and then well, that's a backlash? Yeah, I think it's a fine balance. I mean, I think that we need to find a way to kind of maximize the freedom of the individual while at the same time sort of not sending the message that, oh, well, if you do believe in these more traditional ideas, you know, we completely despise you and everything is done for it. And, you know, we're going to make it really difficult for you to, uh, uh, you know, practice your beliefs openly. And I, I think it's a hmm. very fine balance. I mean, what I... It uh, is. I mean, I am firmly of the belief that traditional ideas and regressive traditional ideas should be mocked and ridiculed like coming from Saudi Arabia and Pakistan I have no problem mocking conservative traditional ideas but uh, that will that will probably alienate um, this right. religious minority so I don't know well, what the solution well, I is <laughs> I mean it's it's, uh, it, it's a really fine balance it's a matter of deciding well you know who are the people that we don't really care about alienating because you know if someone already believes that uh, you know like gays should be jailed or you know or gays should sort of stay completely in the closet and if someone believes that you know women belong in the home then you know there's probably not much we can do to kind of bring them into modernity. Well, you see, we're seeing such uh, growth in, uh, you know, in desire for these types of ideas. Like there, there's um, professor uh, Jordan Peterson. He talks about disliking casual sex a lot. Um, and well, okay, but see, this is where this is where I think we can sort of negotiate certain. You know, uh, this is where I think the dialogue can take place. I mean, I think there are. I mean, I there are a lot of fairly liberal people who dislike casual sex and who sure, who, sure, but they're not trying yeah. to. So I mean, this is where I would say, you know, let's not kind of go. I mean, there's a difference between 
for instance, someone who says, oh, well, if you have premarital sex, especially if you're a woman, yeah, like you should be forever branded a slut and, you know, <laughs> excluded from polite society and so on. There's a difference in disliking yeah, it for yourself. but that and saying that, you know, we should talk about how, you know, maybe casual sex isn't good for people. Um, I mean, I think that's some of the rhetoric um, and it's I, I I know I'm kind of opening up a can of worms when we don't even have a lot of time to yeah. you know to, to go through that can of worms, but um, I mean I think some of the more extreme rhetoric coming out of the transgender movement has been a, has been kind of kind of oh yeah this is a yeah. whole other podcast in itself yeah that's a whole <laughs> other podcast in itself but you know I mean I think for a lot of people like if you come and say if you come out and say. Well, like who, any person who says they're a woman, you know, should be able to enter a women's bathroom, even if they, you know, have a beard and, you know, basically look like a guy. You know, I think that's the point at which you're going to start, you know, alienating a lot. Yeah, but of I mean, I haven't seen anyone that's like looking like a bearded lumberjack or mullah or something trying to get into a woman's washroom. Like usually it's a pretty. Well, I haven't seen it in person, but I mean, I. I people that pointed at least one person on the online. I just think that these are exaggerated claims by the right. But anyways, this is a this is a whole yeah. Yeah. whole and other. Yeah, and I mean, Jordan Peterson is a kind of interesting figure because, you know, I mean, I, I strongly disagree with some of the things he says, but I mean, I also think that the way he's been treated is really kind of disgraceful. I mean, I don't think he's preaching hate toward anyone, at least as far as I can see. Uh, anyhow, so yeah, it's, I mean, I think that we're going to... Uh, you know, we're going to have to be a little more uh, nuanced, I think. For yeah. sure, but I think that some of that can be directed at the Jordan Petersons of the world, right? He's not very he's not very nuanced himself. No, he's not very, no, no, and I mean, I think it's definitely a kind of mutual, I mean, I think right now what we're seeing is kind of a mutual polarization, mm -hmm. and I think one unfortunate thing that happens, I mean, I've, I've, I've been sort of following the whole Jordan Peterson debate, and I've noticed that he's been talking to a lot of podcasters who are sort of, you know, on the, more or less on the alt-right uh, Yeah, one of them is a, like a, an advocate of violence towards non-white people in the oh. ethno-state. Tara McCarthy, her podcast oh, okay. is... I don't know anything about her. I mean, I don't really know that much about her. She, she hosts but, this podcast. I mean, I'm assuming, I mean, Jordan Peterson kind of strikes me as someone who's a little you know, naive and not very well versed in like the media. So I'm kind of assuming that a lot of the time, like he probably gets an invitation to go on a podcast and he's, I mean, he, he comes across as someone who's like incredibly anxious to get his message out. Yeah. But if you take like, one look at Tara McCarthy's yeah. Twitter, it's all about white genocide uh, just oh you know uh, being oh upset God. about mixed yeah, race no, babies I, I know. I mean, so I she's know. not really the best candidate to go and speak about the western no, civilization no. with because so he i mean to me he loses all credibility and then when he you know talks about uh, postmodernist sort of inventing words and then he cannot uh, stick to a definition of the word truth and then he speaks in all this deepak chopra flowery language right, right. that means nothing to me he's kind of like the mirror image of what he's criticizing yeah, that's, a, that, that's a really good point uh yeah because i mean i, I i've 
But I, I, like I said, I followed some of the things that he's been doing, and I was really disappointed when I saw him, you know, talking to some of these uh, sort of more uh, kind of dodgy podcasters. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think that there is, unfortunately, a tendency because of the polarization right now, there's a tendency for people to kind of gravitate toward extremes. Mm -hmm. And to some extent, again, it's because they're sort of alienated by, like, you know, like Jordan Peterson, I think, has been so demonized by the sort of, by a lot of the mainstream. Yeah, but he says so much stupid stuff. Like, Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I think, yeah, he's not the best spokesperson for for his point of view. But I think some people really are being pushed, I think, uh, toward the extremes. And and yeah, but, uh, you know. I I just feel that people won't use this uh, excuse for, you know, say people being pushed to Islamic extremes. Why use it for? Yeah, yeah. No, and and I think there is a really ironic um, kind of parallel that people aren't really noticing. Like, I've seen a lot of people really, a lot of people on the right really mock the idea that, you know, Muslim bashing could uh, radicalize yeah. some Muslims, and they're going to say, "Oh, well, what does that say about Muslims if exactly. they react to being criticized by, you know, embracing these murderous cults?" And then the same people will turn around and say. Oh well, there's all these you know young men joining you know white supremacists. Exactly. Groups. What do you expect when exactly. all this white male bashing going on? Yeah. And I'm like, well, isn't that the same thing? Because, yeah. Oh, you know, I mean, what does that say about white males? Something right, like, right. They can so easily be radicalized. Male bashing by you know, joining white supremacist groups. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think that there's definitely like everyone has a double standard. Uh, well, almost everyone. Um, yeah, so if we can find like a small group of people, influential people, starting to speak without double standards and kind of I applying these. I would love to see that. And I mean, I honestly think and, you know, I don't know who would do this, but I would love to see a, you know, some sort of a group of um you know, people who um, want to sort of pursue and defend uh, sort of authentically liberal values, you know, not liberal in the kind of the American political sense of conservative versus liberal, but, you know, in the sense of, you know, defending individual freedom. Please don't say classical liberalism. Yeah, because yeah, defending individual <laughs> That freedom. term has been uh, really... Uh, drag through the mud. I mean, people think of like alt right now when they hear classical liberal. Yeah, which is also very unfortunate. I mean, you know, it's uh, uh, that there are so many words that have gotten hijacked yeah. uh, by both the right and the left. But I would love, to, as I said, you know, I would love to see a kind of coalition of reasonable conservatives, moderates, liberals, everyone really who would defend these core principles of, you know, individual freedom, of, you know, judging people as individuals and not on the basis of their, uh, you know, gender, race, religion, ethnicity, sexual orientation, whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and that would apply equally to the sort of the more extreme identity politics and the more traditionalist kinds of, uh, um, you know, race and gender based um, uh, kind of stereotyping. Uh, 
that I think we're all, I, I think we're also seeing. Uh, I mean, again, I, I think that this is something that is very, very sorely needed right now. Yeah, and if we're, you know, going to criticize people being demonized for, you know, uh, views that aren't so popular and then we're gonna try and get a professor fired who you know tweeted about I want I want white genocide for Christmas it's the same people so do you know right. who I'm talking about like oh yeah 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 no I followed that, that story yeah, yeah. so it, it's absurd to me because the critics of the people who uh, the critics of the leftists who will say try to get Milo deplatformed or whatever are the ones who are trying to get this professor fired also for saying right. white, you know, right. white genocide, I mean, which I isn't a real genocide. Yeah. And I mean, I don't, I mean, I think he's a jerk. I mean, I think, yeah, sure. That's like, different, but yeah, of course. But then again, you know, so is Milo, of course, bigger, <laughs> yeah, I'd argue. It's really, it's really pretty obvious. You know, he was making a bad joke. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't really think for a moment that he was authentically, you know, calling for the mass murder of white people. Isn't he uh, white? Yeah, he's white. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's, again, you know, the guy was making a really bad joke. He was being a jerk. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and yeah, and of course, you know, you're, you're seeing some of the same people who are otherwise, you know, very gung-ho for freedom of expression, uh, you know, saying that somebody should lose their job over this. And I mean, you know, the right, um, apart from this, um really does not necessarily have a great history of um, defending freedom of speech on campus. Mm -hmm. I mean, there were in the beginning, like, of um, uh, the war in Iraq, where, like, uh, immediately after 9-11, when the, when the war in Afghanistan began, uh, there were, there was a number of instances of, um, you know, conservatives calling for professors to be fired for criticizing the war or, you know, for, uh, you know, well, not criticizing the war per se, but saying something that they considered to be offensive to the troops mm-hmm. uh, or, you know, saying things that um, they considered to be sort of disrespectful to the victims of 9-11. Um, so, yeah, there were the, 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 there's certainly, again, there's a lot of hypocrisy across the board and, you know, uh, there, there, there's a great um, uh, book uh, the, 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 this wonderful guy, uh, Nat Hentoff, who, you know, I have a number of disagreements with, but he, he was this really, really strong advocate for uh, free speech. And he wrote a wonderful book called Free Speech for Me, But Not for Thee. Mm. And, you know, that kind of sums up, I think, the attitude mm. that... Um, uh, yeah, so just to make one point, though, before we yeah. start wrapping things up, is I think that, uh, I don't know if you're going to agree on this or not, but people make this uh, equivalence that, oh, you know, the now that the anti-social justice warrior people have gone so far down the hole, they're so, they've become sort of social justice warriors themselves, and then there's this moral equivalence being made of, like, the extreme anti-SJWs and the extreme SJWs, which I disagree with, because if you go into the extremes, I think that the people opposing social justice end up at the, you know, uh, misogyny and... Uh, 
white genocide kind of place. Whereas even if the extreme social justice, they start off from a place of wanting social justice, even if they end up at saying, fuck all white people and do not have mixed race relationships, which is absurd, but... um, Right, although, I mean, you can really see the kind of the, what some people call the horseshoe theory, where, you know, they really do converge and, for instance, being opposed to interracial relations. Right, right. Sometimes they do converge. But what yeah. I'm saying is the moral equivalence isn't isn't accurate because one side actually starts off from a point of wanting uh, justice and wanting to uplift people that are disadvantaged. That's right. their intent. Whether they carry it out or not, whether they turn into racists right. against other races, that's a different point. But then the other end of that is people who want to stop that from happening. Yeah, although, you know, to play the devil's advocate, when you get to the point where people will justify the, uh, you know, bad treatment of someone on the basis of their race and Mm -hmm. sometimes their gender, I think you've really pretty much ended up in the same place as the far right. Uh, Sure, sure. My only thing is... From a better place. My only thing is that that's exaggerated. I find that there's some cases here and there and then people take it and then they roll with it as if that is the ultimate goal of the left. You know? Well, no, but see, that's the thing. It may not be the ultimate goal, but if that's what you're justifying in practice, I mean, if you're justifying... But then like, many I mean, people are. It's really not an isolated case. I mean, I've seen a lot of these cases by now where people just get horribly treated, and then there's, like, the response basically is, oh, uh, you know, white tears, you know, <laughs> the, the, or, you know, male tears. Uh, well, sometimes that's just, uh, like, a trolling response to trolling attitudes. Oh, like sure, it's like also, I mean, I it's not always malicious. Real, kind of, it, it is a real advocacy for you know not showing compassion to someone who is you know in a really bad you know position uh, because they're white and especially if they're also male. Uh, I mean, I've I've seen that a lot. And yeah, I think yeah, but I mean, you see the mentality when you get into that mentality. Uh, I mean, that's bigotry, you know. That's, I get it. I don't I, really care if it started out from a progressive yeah, place. Yeah, it, no, I, yeah. No, I am on board with uh, that. I just think I that... So I think in that sense, it may be, it may kind of pose a special danger because, you know, again, these progressive ideas really do appeal to many people who would never, you know, who would never be drawn to overt bigotry. But, I mean, if you tell them that this is in the name of social justice, um, I think a lot of them do get drawn in. And I think that's uh, that's a bad thing. I uh-huh. think it, it ultimately undermines, you know, liberalism again in the kind of classical sense of freeing the individual and treating people as uh, as uh, human beings. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think there is the, that kind of moral gradation, but uh, ultimately, I still think that both of these uh, phenomena are... You think it balances out in a certain way? In a certain way, it balances out, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I think you see what I mean, right? Because on the one hand, I think... It's, I see it, what it, you mean. I just, I don't... Edge. It does have that moral edge because it doesn't start out with you know, and explicitly maintaining superiority. Yeah. But by the same token, I think that moral edge kind of gives it that, 
little kind of dangerous extra of being able to appeal to good people. So, you know, that's that's my view. I agree that that it does have that attached to it where it has that moral appeal and can lead people to that direction. But I just think that perhaps you worry about that more than I do because I believe that most people won't get there through that progressive mentality. I think that's the the difference I I want to highlight. I would like to be as optimistic as you are. I mean, I also don't think that many people... Uh, are going to be drawn to the really like hardcore far right. See that I think is actually is just changing in front of our eyes. I was, I was in total agreement with you maybe until like a year and a half ago. And now I'm like, Oh my gosh, what is happening around us? These things are being normalized. Um, Yeah, no, I have like, I I have some serious concerns about that. I mean, I think that there is, and you know, Again, I would sort of argue for nuance in terms of like when we look at Trump supporters, for instance, uh, you know, not all Trump supporters are racist. Yeah, yeah. I argue that most Trump supporters are really not like they're not down with the really like hardcore racist stuff that's being promoted by the alt right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But so, so you know, I mean, I think it is it is important to make those distinctions. But they did, uh, I mean, kind of look the other way on a lot of the racist stuff that Donald Trump was saying, a lot of the sexual predator stuff that came out about him. Um, so right. I'm not. I mean, I think people. I, I think it's it's really human nature to look the other way at things when you know when we think that well at the moment like whatever we're supporting happens to be the right thing and yeah you kind of look the other way at uh, sure yeah I just I don't see myself uh, yeah. excusing no, no, I mean, that I, kind of thing okay. ever but. Uh, Nuance is good. I don't think Nuance Trump voters are. That. Yeah, <laughs> Trump voters are not all racist. However, I think they did look the other way on some racism. So I'm not for treating them with like sort of these kid gloves either. But I'm of no, course no, not for treating them. I mean, I'm very, I'm very willing to you know to confront and criticize you know whoever is condoning uh, racists. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I absolutely agree that it's a problem. I mean, I think that I, as I've written, you know, I think I, I gave Milo a pass at one point mm-hmm. and some of the really unsavory stuff that he was doing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, and I'm looking at some of the, the, the stuff that's happened to some of the people that, you know, i at one point was in contact with, you know, like Lauren Southern, uh, for instance. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a real danger. I think a lot of people are being drawn into uh, some very, very questionable things. Yeah, well, so. even people that I, you know, on social media that I knew that I used to respect completely two years ago are now full time, like, you know, apologists for Milo or, you know, tiptoeing around Richard Spencer, can't fully condemn Tommy Robinson. These are like red flags to me. These are intelligent people that I thought were liberal up till two years ago. And now they're not able to, you know, denounce the most obvious things. Right. Um, I think there 
are two possibilities. I think some of them eventually will um, kind of decide that they have enough. Uh, they've had enough of you know. Condoning. But what's their threshold? If if their threshold well, is really that high, I think eventually. Um, I mean, I think. The human mind really has an amazing capacity for denial. So, you know, a lot of the time I think people will kind of look at what their, you know, purported allies are doing and kind of, you know, not see it really. (laughs) And eventually I think there does come a moment when they have to confront it. Mm. And, you know, then they will either um, disassociate themselves or some of them. I feel like that moment. kind of go all the way in. That moment was like a year ago <laughs> but yeah people have different selection I, I think the selection has sort of driven everyone nuts I, yeah really yeah for sure for sure and it's exposed a lot of people unfortunately yeah. but one well, I, mean, I think well you know the, the, here's the thing given what's happened over the past year I really I, I cannot make any kind of predictions anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I really have no idea what the intellectual landscape will look like a year from now. We, I, I, I honestly don't know. Because, so true. Because, you know, as with the political landscape, really anything could happen. And, uh, um, you know, I mean, I can tell you with a reasonable degree of certainty that, you know, I'm not going to join Milo's traveling circus. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Glad to hear it. The 12 million bucks. Uh, but, you know, other than that, I think everything is really up in the air. Yeah. Yeah. So right. One last point I wanted to make was was uh, our, our sort of difference on, on feminism, I think, uh, and the whole rape thing. I think I wanted to clarify that I'm with you when it comes to people that are, you know, distinctly and clearly trying to change definitions of rape. And I do think that that happens. There are some people that are trying to uh, change it to mean... I don't know, like any, any sort any of sexual experience that you didn't, you later decided you didn't like. Basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I feel like that too is something that's exaggerated on the right. I mean, you might disagree as well and feel free to, but I think that's the difference. So, so there are some people who will not acknowledge this at all. I, Right. I accept that that has happened a couple of times. I've seen it happen, and that's not... Oh, I think it's happened. <laughs> right, right. I'm not saying literally, <laughs> too. But I think that this now is being used to discredit people who are also, like, victims of rape when they're drunk. So it's also right, a fine yeah, line to walk. That's necessarily true. I mean, if you look at... Like, there was, for instance, when... I don't know if you remember the uh, case that unfolded in, in Steubenville in Ohio, um, like back in uh, 2013. I mean, that was the story that really kind of started this whole, um, you know, uh, the, the, this uh, current kind of wave of attention to, um, you know, to acquaintance rape and to kind of, you know, what some people call rape culture, where this uh, extremely drunk teenage girl was uh, sexually assaulted at a party by uh, by two football players. 
And, um, you know, I don't remember that there was really anyone in the mainstream conservative community who said anything like, oh, well, you know, it's really her fault for Mm -hmm. getting drunk out of her mind at a party. I mean, there were people saying, you know what, like we should be able to hold rapists accountable, but, you know, it really should be okay to also tell young women that, you know, it's not a particularly smart idea to, uh, you know, get so drunk at a party that you literally the next day have no idea what was going on and you know and but I, it's not really the place of the media right that's like your family and friends who care for you who know you you know like the media condemning the girl rather than focusing on the guys assaulting her i think that's the problem oh yeah but i mean i don't think anyone focused on uh condemning the girl i mean i think that there were uh, I mean, I think what happened was that there were a few people, including, I think, I can't remember if it was Serena or Venus Williams, but it was one of the Williams sisters who made a very kind of mild comment about, you know, like, yeah, what those guys did, did, did was horrible, but, you know, I think that we should also be able, as a society, to kind of send a message to uh, you know, to teenage girls that they need to be kind of more responsible in terms of, uh, you know, like getting, getting extremely drunk at parties. Uh, and you know, and she was kind of immediately jumped on for victim blaming and, you know, was basically kind of brought into apologizing. And I thought that was kind of silly. But there was a CNN reporter who was just torn to pieces because she made a comment about uh, um, well, like when she was watching the sentencing, uh, she made a comment about the, the sort of really emotional moment of the young men's families reacting and, you know, the these, uh, these, these young men uh, kind of feeling that their lives are over. Uh, and a lot of people said, oh, well, this is like, the, 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 there's all this sympathy for the rapists, and she didn't say anything about the victim. And in fact, she did, you know, and people, like, <laughs> like the, her comments were posted literally with the end of her comments cut off, where she said, of course, we have to remember that this is an extremely serious crime, and there is also this victim whose life has also been, you know, changed forever. Um, so, uh, you know, so I think that there was literally some misinformation where comments were taken out of context. And I mean, you know, it's really not that uncommon for people, whatever the crime is, to express a certain degree of sympathy for, you know, perpetrators who are teenagers and who themselves may not necessarily, like, know what they were doing in many ways. Um... I mean, you know, it's uh, not people do that when they're talking about teenage murders. You know, you. I mean, I actually looked for it at the time, and I found a number of examples where people uh, were kind of, you know, semi semi sympathetic to teenagers who killed someone, uh, and you know, basically saying kind of the same thing that you know, it's really you know, kind of tragic to see this uh, person who's only uh, you know sixteen years old and their whole life is messed up and. You know, I don't understand the sympathy, though. So I said it's it's really. I mean, to say that again, like we're going to treat rape as uh, this kind of sacred cow almost, where you know these these 
you know, human instincts that apply in all sorts of other cases, you know, like expressing a certain degree of sympathy for, you know, a teenage perpetrator who, you know, maybe was severely intoxicated when he did what he did. Um, I mean, I think that's kind of productive. I mean, that's really almost like saying, in a way, to me, that really in a way, is kind of like going back to putting women in a pedestal. But anyway, that's, yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone is really uh, calling for blaming women. I mean, I think it's more of, uh, well, I mean, unless you look at these really extreme, you know, subcultures like some of the, you know, people in the so-called manosphere. Uh, I mean, I think that that's definitely true. Um, but, you know, I mean, I think that there's a, there's an attempt to talk about some of the more complicated cases where, you know, it's not necessarily... Um, I mean, there's a whole debate about, you know, what does incapacitated mean? Like, you know, if, I mean, are you actually... (laughs) Yeah, no, I just, if I, uh, yeah. Well, but but see, that's the thing. That's the thing, though. I mean, if you look at the way that the, like, to the average person, I think incapacitated basically means that, you know, you're either unconscious or, you know, like the victim in Steubenville, you're sort of so severely disoriented that you, like you literally have, you know, practically no awareness of what's going on and you're sort of, you're not really able to walk, you know, like in that case, these guys were kind of just dragging her around like a bag of bones, basically. Uh, and yeah, and I mean, it was really, really uh, disturbing. Um But you're also seeing, like, especially in some of the conversation that goes on on college campuses, I mean, you can actually see it on websites, um, on college websites where they discuss, you know, sexual assault. They will actually use the word incapacitated in a very different meaning. Well, like basically, um, uh, you know, where your judgment is impaired. Uh, Like, they, like, I have seen. Pages on, uh, again, you know, like web pages on. uh, But if your judgment is impaired and the other person's judgment is not like, you know, like if you're really drunk and someone isn't drunk and they're taking advantage of you, then that's in my mind, definitely non-consensual sex. Um, well, but what, what, what does impair? Uh, well, first of all, how do you know that the other person's judgment is uh, uh, is not impaired? I mean, in most of these cases, we're talking about two people who are drunk. Uh, I mean, you know, I mean, right. So that when that is proven, incapacitated, that is basically something like. Um, you know, they will use things like, let's say, if the person is behaving in an uncharacteristic way, like they're being really giggly and talkative or like they're. But that that could be very, very drunk. Right. So what I'm saying is that I'm with you when it's provable. Just one second. Just let me finish. When it's provable that, uh, you know, they're both just drunk college kids that are having sex or whatever, then I'm with you if someone tries to change the definition of that. But when it gets into now, we're starting to question what does incapacitated mean, and let's be suspicious, and it's just it's well, but that's exactly. But I mean, that I think that is an attempt to change the definition because incapacitated generally does not mean impaired judgment. It means that you're literally like not physically capable. Yeah, you're not. Yes, yes. No, I get that. I mean, my, my look. My here's my definition. If you're able to. Text your friend and say, oh, haha, I'm about to get laid. 
you're not incapacitated. I'm sorry. It doesn't really, I don't really care how impaired your judgment is. I don't really care that you would not have done this when you were sober. I mean, you know, I'm going to be completely honest and say that, you know, over the course of my life, I've had on a few occasions, I've had sex with guys when (gasps) I was drunk. I was sober. I mean, come on. I, no, no. Okay. So here's the thing. It, it depends on both parties, right? If you're if you're drunk and texting and accepting, but the other person is not, that's a problem. Um, you know, I, I've been in situations in college where guys are careful because they are not drunk. You know what I mean? Like I've been at right. parties and you see. There are many like respectful guys that are like, no, I, you know, you're drunk right now or whatever, you know. I'm also kind of concerned. I mean, are we saying that we should kind of expect men to protect women from their own bad judgment? No, I mean, no but if I'd say the same if there was a guy very drunk and a woman was trying to get with him but he was really drunk so i would say that she's in the position if she's not drunk to be the responsible person and wait until he's not drunk so do you get what yeah, i'm saying well, you know what? this I'm isn't like, just women what i would say i mean i would say that uh you're you're right sort of from a moral standpoint i don't i i'm really not down with you know, saying that that is something that we should reclassify as rape. And I think this is what, um, I mean, this is one of my concerns about a lot of this. I mean, I think that it's perfectly possible for people to, you know, behave badly in sexual situations uh, without um, necessarily doing something criminal. I mean, I think that even if you, you know, leave aside the question of um, someone being drunk, you know, let's say that you, um, you know, have sex with someone who is at that moment very upset about something and, you know, very emotional and, you know, not really thinking straight mm-hmm. because of that. Um, I mean, that's probably not like, I mean, especially if you kind of suspect that, you know, this person would not have had sex with you if they were not in that emotional but state. But they have their faculties, right? So what, that's what I'm saying is, let me clarify if this is, if this is right. You think that having a one-party drunk very drunk sex isn't necessarily taking advantage of them sexually. Well, okay. This is where I get, you know, taking advantage sexually, I mean, in a legal sense or a moral sense, because I can tell you that the definition of rape, the legal definition of rape in most States, I'm pretty sure is that you have to be drunk, like to a point where you're, faculties are so impaired that you cannot like do normal things like i'll give you a specific example like there was a case at ohio university in which a woman and a man like both students were kind of making out on the street and then basically like she sat down on the ledge of the the window of a bank and he performed oral sex on her in public and you know this was like at two o'clock in the morning and of course you know there were some passers-by and you know some people started taking pictures and of course the next day a video of this ends up on the internet of course and then this girl like uh, who has no memory of any of this by the way uh 
uh, goes to the cops and says, you know, and basically says I was raped. Because, you know, I was too drunk to consent to this. And uh, the other person's not drunk? No, he was drunk. He was was drunk. Yeah, he was also drunk. Oh, yeah, this and, is and a messed up situation. I don't no memory of any of this either. So you know that's that's the uh, uh, that's the thing. Yeah, and you know the thing is that first of all, when they reviewed the video, they actually found that like when the crowd started gathering, the guy said uh, maybe we should stop, and then the girl actually said no, no, like go on. So like she actually verbally encouraged him. Mm. Now that doesn't mean obviously that she, I mean, again, obviously if she had all of her faculties in place, you know, she would not have probably, you know, been, been okay with this. Uh, but the other thing, and this, this case actually did go to a grand jury and they, uh, decided that there was no cause to like indict the guy. And there, part of the reasoning apparently was that there was a security tape showing that like after this happened, um, the girl walked away unassisted and went on to, you know, buy a burrito or something. You know, she like they both stopped at a cafe and she bought a burrito. Mm-hmm. And and I remember that when this was in the uh, when this was written up, like when the story was in the news, like there were people in the feminist community who were extremely upset about this and who were saying like, oh, so basically they're saying that if you bought a burrito, somehow that means you weren't raped. That's ridiculous. Well, of course, that you know, that's not the logic. I mean, the logic is that if the charge of rape depends solely on you not having your faculties in place and you are you know, insufficient possession of your faculties to like walk unassisted and buy a burrito, uh, then you are also in a position to say no to sex if you, you know, so desire. So I think, you know, I mean, uh, of course, I mean, would that be more complicated if the guy was completely sober? Of course. Yeah. 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 Uh, but I mean, I'm not sure actually, uh, because uh, I'm thinking right now, I'm not really sure what the law is. Like, would the law, would the legal perspective on this have been different if he had been completely sober? Probably not. Actually. Really? I mean, because then he ha- he has uh, power over her. She's not fully there, and he is. Right now, he says yeah, he's drunk, but, she's no, drunk. I'm they both thinking. don't remember. I mean, my lawyer friends because I actually think that it doesn't um, change the like the the intoxication of the uh, accused I think actually doesn't necessarily change his or her responsibility Um, any lawyers out there listening feel free to let us know difference morally this this makes a huge amount of difference but you know I mean I think it is kind of an interesting conversation about you know, if we're taking the discussion of rape kind of away from, uh, you know, physical force, you know, do we get into at some point a situation where we have to talk about, you know, rape, uh, rape being a two way street, uh, you know, because I mean, I can tell you, like, I know personally of like women who have bragged about getting a guy drunk 
to, you know, basically to kind of loosen them up so that, you know, sex could happen. Like when, um, I mean, I remember the, the story that, and I'm not going to say who the person was, but there's a fairly prominent journalist who, uh, you know, this woman was uh, sort of dating and like he, she was frustrated that he wasn't making a move and like eventually she sort of got him really drunk. And she was completely uh, yeah. sober and this was the plan, like to get him drunk to... Well, get her yeah, to have sex with her? I don't know if she was completely sober, but I mean, the plan was that if she um, got him drunk, uh, he would eventually kind of like, you know, lose an, uh, lose his inhibitions and, uh, you know, enough that either he would make a move on her or, you know, like she would make a move on him and he would respond. Anyway, well, I mean, you the, know, if it's like disgust. By the way, the, the punchline, by the way, was that in attempting to do this, she eventually got him so drunk that he fell asleep. So, you know, <laughs> so, so it didn't happen. So then, so then it doesn't matter right yeah. but here's but, the mean, thing here's the way. thing if they were like consensually discussing this and he's like oh you know i'm sorry i'm nervous or you know i i'm unable to do this because i can't get the courage to and then they discuss okay well maybe like if you get drunk and no, you know no, no, loosen up like, no i mean the plan was unilaterally to uh to to get him drunk without uh, his knowledge I- that this is the plan yeah, without well, his knowledge. Well, and of course, I mean, again, what does getting someone drunk means? I mean, if, if unless like she's actually slipping alcohol into his drink, uh, he is consensually imbibing alcohol. You know, so that no, uh, yeah, I yeah, know, I don't so agree with that. That we're getting into, and I know that we we've, we've already been talking for a while. And, yeah, you know, yeah, this is going to be like a two-hour really wrap things up. I just think that these are like enormously complicated issues and I mean especially when we're talking about young people who you know who don't have a whole lot of experience like navigating the you know waters of but I think that we can do better in terms of education in that sense to to help people navigate right and and especially educate people about etiquette around sex when there's drinking involved and you're in college oh, yeah, and things I like that. Agree. I absolutely agree, and I think that um, you know part of uh, part of the problem I, I think is that uh, uh, I mean you know you, you look at the some of the stats about um, you know the so-called hookup culture. Uh, and, you know, it is, uh, you know, I don't want to be the, in the kind of Jordan Peterson position of saying, oh, you know, all casual sex is bad. <laughs> but, I mean, the average man consumes something like six uh, drinks, you know, as and I'm not really like I, I guess yeah, like I'm not sure what quantity of alcohol is necessarily like involved in each drink, but I guess what would be defined as you know one drink, like either one beer or you know one. Well, also body okay. mass makes a difference, yeah, right? Yeah. So I mean, on average, the uh, like the male partner in a hookup consumes six drinks and the woman consumes five. So, you know, they're both going into this really drunk. And it's well, like, no, like five could have far more of an impact on her because of her 
body mass than oh, it would sure, yeah, than yeah, six would I mean, have the point on is him. That they're both and it, going into this. The point is that they're both going into this really drunk. Right. And so I think that's a great situation for anyone. And uh, you know, and I think that um, you know, I'm not really sure how to do this, but I mean, I would love to see a change in uh, you know the culture around this. Uh, now, I mean, I do think that there's. Um, there's a kind of like the, some of the um, education on you know college campuses today about sexual assault basically takes what I think is a really kind of extreme position that if you know if, if you are at all like even slightly intoxicated uh, you are unable to give consent. And I think that's really counterproductive because again, you know it doesn't kind of, jibe with the experience of most people because people do see so much of this, you know, drunk sex going around them. And what I would say, and and I think this is what I would like to see happen, is that I think that we should find a way to talk about some of these things without using the language of rape or sexual assault. I mean, there should be a way to talk about, you know, there are things you can do that can you know, be hurtful to other people that mm-hmm. can be exploitative. I mean, you know, I absolutely agree, for instance, that it is, uh, uh, you know, morally wrong to pressure someone into uh, sex that they don't want. I mean, you know, I, I think it is, for instance, you know, um, not only bad etiquette, but again, you know, really bad ethics. To, but it's, I mean, that that can definitely be rape. You, you see that, right? Well, I mean, I, I think it depends on what you mean by pressure. I think that maybe we are not uh, exact, we're not very aligned on uh, the definition of rape. However, I, I do see some of what you're talking about. There are some efforts by some people, uh, which I think are exaggerated. You, of course, disagree, and that's fine. Um, but I, I also agree that we should be able to talk about uh, these things and and educate more people about them. And as the world changes around us, sexuality also changes and definitions do change. Like, for example, with the, you know, invention of the Internet and smartphones and sexting and, you know, kids exchanging photos, teenagers exchanging photos. Everyone uh, needs to be educated in, in a whole new way about sexuality a little bit. So some of the definitions just are changing uh but uh thank you so much for chatting with me kathy this was a an interesting discussion debate uh we didn't agree on everything but that's okay yeah yeah i think it's it's been great and it's been really really good talking to you yeah so everybody if you want to follow kathy you can find her on twitter at kathy young 63 okay great all right okay take care okay thank you Thanks for listening to another episode of Polite Conversations. You can support this podcast by sharing the shit out of it, making some noise about it, or contributing via Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes. No Ian mangoes. Also, you can follow me on Twitter at nice mangoes. If you want to make a one-time donation instead of a monthly Patreon one, you can do so via PayPal. NiceMangoes.blog at gmail.com. Remember, no Ian Mangos. 
If you've got an interesting story and would potentially like to be a guest, you can email me there too. A special thanks to Dylan Beck for theme music, sound, and production help. 